Get all your jitters out. Take a deep breath. Welcome, everyone, to Hollywood Video Guys. I'm your host, Donnie, and I'm joined by my fellow film filchinados, Mike and Randy. Hey, hey. How's it going, everybody? How are you guys doing this uh, fanciful, fine afternoon? I know it's kind of dreary outside, but it's a little cozy in here. It is a little cozy. I try to get this cozy atmosphere when we record, and I try to. I think I'm mostly successful for the most part. Yeah, for sure. For but sure. Uh, today we're going to cozy in with a few of our favorite movies. We love talking about film here, and we're going to talk about the Christopher Guest trilogy. This is Spinal Tap, Best in Show, and A Mighty Wind. Before we get to that, fellas, what have you been watching lately? Uh, I'll go first because I've been watching a lot of movies. Yeah, you've, but, been, um, you've been film filchinado. I have, yeah, I have really been aficionadoing, that's for sure. <clears throat> um, the one I want to point out, or the, the standout one for me, I saw about a week and a half ago in the theaters, which is Poor Things, mm. which has Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe, and this is one of those delightfully strange and weird movies. Like, it's got a little bit of whimsical. I, as I was watching it, it felt like a Wes Anderson movie if he wanted to make a Tim Burton movie, almost. So, like, <laughs> what that, a combination. I got you. That's, yeah. yeah, but you know what I'm talking yeah, about I when I say that. For sure, for sure. So in this, you have Willem Dafoe, who's like this horribly deformed, basically mad scientist. And he's taken a recently dead woman and put the brain of the baby that she was pregnant with into her brain. So it creates sort of like a Frankenstein Barbie. <laughs> and but she so has the mind of a baby? She has the mind of her unborn baby. So she washes up near his laboratory, mm -hmm. and he does... Washes realizes, up? Yes, she jumps off a bridge in the opening scene. And he's on an And you don't know why sort? yet. You oh, don't okay. know why oh. she did that. And so she Spoiler washes up alert. on a show. Yeah, I'm sorry, but this is the very beginning of the movie, and it's the setup for the <laughs> He's movie. He's setting the table here. Yeah, that's true. I'm setting the table. So like I said, to me, it felt like a hybrid of Frankenstein and Barbie. Mm -hmm. And Emma Stone puts forth one of just the best performances <clears throat> I've seen. Like, I've heard a lot of buzz about this movie. Now. Yeah, I, I, I want to see it. Kind of intentionally kept, I tend to keep myself out of you know certain movies when it seems like that something could be spoiled, or I don't want to know too much about it, and this is one of them. And I'll probably watch it when it's out on digital probably in the next month or so. Yeah, yeah I, I'd strongly recommend it. It's not for everyone because I was watching it and realizing, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that don't appreciate this movie. Mm -hmm. It's made by the same director that did The Lobster, which Oh, that movie seemed, was pretty nuts. Oh, I only yeah. saw part of it, but it's very I didn't bizarre. see it, but it was always intriguing to me mm -hmm. because it was just such a weird setup, and that's the same thing here. Now, like I said, Emma Stone, she won the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. I think that she might be the favorite right now to win the Oscar. Mm -hmm. The the physical performance that she gives, particularly in the first half of the movie, where she is literally an adult baby, essentially. Like and the way she moves, <laughs> oh, God. it is it is unreal. And uh -huh. then throughout the movie, she's you know, she's learning more, she's becoming more of a a functional human, mm -hmm. but she's still very blunt. <laughs> and <laughs> so she still doesn't have the etiquettes of, you know, a normal human. And I, I don't want to say anything more than that, mm -hmm. other than it's my favorite Emma Stone performance. It's, and it's also, really weird. Nice. also my favorite Mark Ruffalo performance. He is delightful. Oh. I saw a really funny meme that said it was basically a remake of a, a B movie called Frank and Bimbo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why, but my mind went to Jack, the Robin Williams movie, oh, where he's yeah, like, yeah, you know, he's like an adult, but you know, with a, a child mentality because. 
whatever disease he had or something. I don't know why it came went to that. It's really bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but well, is that the one you were you're pointing out? Is there any other one you want to talk about, Randall? Oh. Or, you know, no. I, I think I think we'll just leave it up. Yeah, pause right there. Now. We'll put the brakes on that one. Yeah. Mike, what have you what have you seen lately? Um, the last movie I saw in theaters I haven't really talked about yet was um, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. The Lost Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. the set Aquaman Two is the easiest way to put that. Uh, I saw it in theaters by, basically by myself, and I was almost the only person in the theater, which is kind of funny. Uh, I saw it in, like a matinee at like noon on a. Thursday, so that, that's probably why you were I was on the vacation. Theater. Yeah, yeah, and um, I was expecting it to be not very good, and I came away and I was like, you know what? It wasn't great. It was okay. It superhero superhero fatigue is you know we talked about it in the past. It's so real because I was thinking about it, I was like if I was thirteen and I went and saw this movie and there's no other really superhero movies other than this, I'd be like, this kicks ass. Like this is the coolest movie. Well, it's so I fun. think that's really the problem with. Superhero fatigue, right? This whole yeah. thing. It's like if we hadn't seen so many of them, this probably be a really fun and awesome movie. But the problem is we've seen yeah too many of them. I also think that I've I've aged out of some of these movies a yeah. little bit because you could tell like the the audience is skewing younger as far as like the the tone and and the, the jokes a lot the jokes of the time. and those things, which is fine. Like that's fine if that's your target. I was that target audience at one point. So you try to turn your brain off a little bit, and when you do, it's a really funny movie. It's really fun, uh, and the, the visuals. I think it's uh. Jeff Wan, Steve Wan, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did the first one. He's doing this one too. And his visuals, especially the underwater colors and things, are really good and vivid. And uh, the CG is really on point for those kind of things. And overall, I, I really liked it. At the end of the day, I came out going like, "Yeah, that was that was pretty good. It was better than I hoped it was going to be." It's too bad because I hadn't seen the first Aquaman. And I, I heard that was actually pretty good. I like that as, one too. Yeah, yeah, DC movies, but it sucks because. Because of superhero fatigue and DC's reputation, it seems like the only standouts, uh, I would say Shazam's a good standout too, but like Aquaman seems to stand out, but yeah. it's still kind of buried under everything else because of, you know, it's a superhero movie that's the, like the 40th one, whatever that's been out in the last 15 years. Yeah, and the, the first one did exceptionally well yeah. in the box office. It, it, I mean, it got released around Christmas and there wasn't really anything else out at that time, but it did exceptionally well, so there was high hopes for this. And But everything with like Amber Heard and some of the other things going on like made this movie difficult to release properly. Like all other DC movies seem to have well, a right. problem that, these days. I think one of the biggest issues, especially with these DC movies that came out in the last year, is that now that James Gunn is in charge, mm-hmm. he essentially all but said these movies are That's not also yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. so you're like, why watch it? Why bother? Yeah, they're like, okay, so we're watching a chapter that's going to lead nowhere. Exactly. And, and so I get that too. I 100% get that. And I felt that a little bit where I'm like, why even have the uh, thing at the end? Like, why bother with the little, like, after Teasers trailer? Or something, yeah, because credits. Who cares? They're not going to do anything. I know that. So, you know, why bother? So that was true. Uh, but overall, like, turn your brain off, have some popcorn, and have fun watching yeah. this movie. I may check it out, but I do have to watch the first one. Uh, the second one is coming out pretty soon already, which I was I, surprised. I recommend the first one. It yeah. is actually um, fun it, and it's visually pleasing. I'm sure on an OLED, it probably looks sweet. Did you see it on an oh, OLED? Sure. I did not see it on the OLED, but I saw it on, like, you know, a good 4K TV, and it, and it, it was very yeah. visually pleasing. It, the plot's kind of lame but it doesn't matter i'd say the first one's worth watching it's fine like at this point like my thing with these a lot of these super movies is it's not so much that i just absolutely hate them it's just there's so much stuff that i'd like to watch that this goes like so far in the back burner that i might get to it four years later and tell you guys hey this is awesome you're like yeah we told you four years ago yeah and i like i the only reason i saw it was because i was free on a thursday afternoon and had nothing to do and it was really the only movie that i was like "Uh, you didn't make time to really see it before then you're just like i have some free time why not it's two hours it's this or the other like the most boring part of the day and the most boring part of the week yeah (laughs) uh for me i'd 
seen a few movies. So one I saw that I would like to cover at some point that I told you guys about that. I had never heard of it. It was called Ricochet with Denzel Washington. It's great. We it's a definitely. great movie. John Lithgow, uh, essentially, you know, um, it starts out with the movie where Denzel's like a rookie cop. He yeah. does this ridiculous way of arresting John Lithgow. Like he takes all of his clothes off down to his boxers to show that he's not armed. Mm -hmm. And he does like this fancy, stupid, like behind the back shot that makes no sense. <laughs> And the whole idea here is that it, it takes place over time. So John Lithgow's in prison, and you know, as as Denzel's on the outside, like his career's going well, he becomes a lawyer and all that. And then John Lithgow, this entire time he's in prison, is, is plotting the ultimate revenge on Denzel. <laughs> he does the most absurd, insane things oh, that you'd never expect. They're just over the top and like there's so many just insane one-liners in this it's movie great. i had a great time watching this dumb movie and like i had never heard of it i haven't seen it in a long time but i definitely saw it during the hollywood video days and it's great it's we, ridiculous we should do it it's hard to do a denzel Denzel's a lot of great because he has so many good movies that yeah. you're like God, i don't want to just cover one you or almost two or have three. to yeah you almost have to break him down in categories right like he has yeah. his cop action movies like his dramas training day yeah, yeah. stuff like that action. like his oscar buzz movie. i don't uh -huh. know how we could break it up but denzel has like he has a ton of great movies i love god he's such a great actor and that movie is really good. That was him. That was before Malcolm X. That was like one of his. It was 91 or 92. It was yeah, pretty early. Malcolm he's X he's really young. Yeah. yeah, it was after Glory before Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the great thing, it's like, you know, they try to do this. They try to paint Denzel as like the ultimate godly person. Like just he's like the the squeaky, uh, the squeakiest of clean people. And mm -hmm. you got John Lithgow is like the most evil of evil. It's so good. So it's just, you're supposed to empathize with like how good Denzel is and like all the stuff that uh, John Lithgow is doing to destroy his life. Yeah. It was great. And then the other movie I saw. I'd heard of it years back. It's called Lords of Chaos. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I love metal. I'm not a fan of black metal really at all. I, I can't do it. But uh, there's a, there was an 80s, early 90s band called Mayhem, which is notorious because they're sort of like, you know, they're considered as like one of the most, I guess the originators of black metal or like one of the first to really do it. But this movie, that, that band itself has an insane story where it's like the singer, you know, committed suicide, the, the guitarist went to a store to get, you know, photos because it was, or excuse me, a camera. Like, back then it was like the, we call it the disposable ones. Mm -hmm. Took a picture of his dead friend, published it in a book, and then years later, the um, the bassist, or actually the, the singer of another band uh, got, you know, was, they were like kind of battling it out. And then he goes and kills this guitarist. And there's this whole Crazy. insane saga of mayhem. So in this movie, it was uh, Rory Culkin in it. He was really good. Yeah. Um, I don't really recognize any of the actor actors. There was one actor who was, I recognized from uh, Place Beyond the Pines, which is another great movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a pretty heavy movie, pretty gory, pretty violent. I was kind of surprised about that. Like I was seeing certain scenes, I was surprised it escaped into an NC-17 because it's, it's pretty intense. Like, yeah. you know, they show the whole thing with the singer and like, it's not, you know, there's not a lot to hide there. Like they show the aftermath of his suicide and like him slitting his wrist. It's It's a pretty intense movie but it's it's good it's just not for everyone yeah i had heard about this movie and i heard rory culkin's really good he's in great it, in it but yeah. it was one of those movies where i'm like i don't know how i'm gonna convince my wife to watch this she, it's <laughs> yeah. hard like you yeah. gotta you know it's like if you watch it and like if you're not in the first half an hour if you're not sold on it like you probably won't finish it because yeah. it's it's about two hours and it goes through pretty reasonably quick but it's a pretty heavy movie like is it a <laughs> It's not a mockumentary, right? No, it's okay. it's. Uh, I don't know how. I mean, of course, it's it's embellished because it's a dramatization of certain events. Mm -hmm. And I think like one of the bammers now, like he wasn't so fond of how they portrayed certain things. Mm. And it's also weird because they almost kind of portray like Rory Culkin's the main character of the movie. Like he's the guitarist, so you know that at the end he, he's gonna die because he gets shot. But it's almost like they're trying to make him in this empathetic character because the um, this the guy who kills him he, he was technically a basis for Mayhem too. Mm. But they show him kind of going on the edge and more unhinged. 
And it's like, you're trying to see that, like, Worry isn't that bad of a guy. But it's like, no, no, like, he's a pretty bad guy, too. Yeah. It's kind of weird that you <laughs> paint him that way. But I guess they need, like, a, a protagonist, protagonist, an antagonist yeah. kind of thing on this, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it was a good time. Uh, not the greatest time to watch if you're a little squeamish, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, enough of my yakking, fellas. What do you say? <laughs> Let's boogie. All right. Your first drummer was uh, the Peeper. John Stumpy Peeps. Oh, yeah. Great, great, uh, tall, blonde geek with glasses. Yeah. Uh, good drummer. Great look. Good drummer. Good, yeah. Good yeah, drummer. Fine. What happened to him? He died. He he died in a bizarre gardening accident some years back. It's so really one of those things. It was, you know, the authorities said, you know, best leave it. You know, it's not unsolved, bad, yeah. really. You know. And he was replaced by. Uh, Stumpy Joe. Eric Stumpy Eric Joe. Child. And what happened to Stumpy Joe? Well, uh, it's not a very pleasant story, but no. um, He's, uh, he, he died, uh, he choked on... Uh, the, the official explanation was he choked on vomit. It's actually, he uh, away. It was actually someone else's vomit. It's not... <laughs> ugly. You know, there's no real... Well, they can't yeah, prove still... whose vomit it was. They no. never, they don't have no. facilities no in Scotland no Yard to, to print You can't really dust for vomit. All right, guys, for the first movie we're going to start with is the first in this series of sorts was uh, 1984's This is Spinal Tap. I'm pretty shocked that this movie is almost four years old at this point, fellas. It's so crazy. Uh, very crazy. Very crazy. This was a Rob Reiner-directed movie. Mm -hmm. Rob Reiner did movies like Stand By Me, Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally. One of my other favorites, Misery. Would love to cover that at some point. Few Good Men and American Presidents. Uh, this movie was made on a $2 million budget. Only earned about $4.7 million, which, you know, even for 1984, that's like insanely low. Yeah. But it's also a smaller movie. They probably didn't have that much of a marketing budget. And this movie really ended up getting more of a cult following, you know, when it was released on VHS and DVD. Yeah, and being such a, like a, a one-of-a-kind kind of movie, it's hard to sell it to somebody who can't visualize what they're doing, you know? Exactly. And this movie, if you haven't seen it before, it's sort of, it is the beginning of the mockumentary genre. Like this really kind of, <laughs> this kind of put all of, it's kind of defined what mockumentaries would be moving forward. Yep. And this movie is entirely about this fictional band called Spinal Tap. And they're sort of, you know, it's all their journey of sorts where they were once popular and they're kind of, they're on the downswing of things and they're like playing indie shows. Um, and it's just them struggling to become and stay relevant. And this stars uh, Michael McKeon as David St. Hubbins. He's the guitarist and singer for this band. There's also Christopher Guest who, uh, he's Nigel Tufnell. He's the other, he's the lead guitarist. And then Harry Shearer, 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 Harry Shearer, Excuse yeah. me, I always mess up his name. Shearer. Uh, he's matter. Derek Smalls as the as the hilarious, you know, mustachioed bassist so here. Uh, but fellas, this movie, where were you when you first saw it? What was your sort of, you know, did you guys think this was real when you first saw it? Like, what was your impressions? I, I, I knew it wasn't real because I had always heard about it. Like, my dad would tell me it's really funny, but you know, we didn't. It wasn't playing on movie channels very much. It was so, not. No. Yeah, I never saw it when I was younger. It wasn't until. Like maybe my high school years, and and there was this one video rental place that had Fifty Cent Rentals for their catalog movies on VHS. Wow, Fifty Cent Fifty rentals. Cent Rentals. Yeah, <laughs> you can't you can't beat that. As so, a kid, you go with two quarters. You're coming out with a good time. Yeah, yeah. it was like it's fine. It's a VHS. Like, I grew up watching VHSs. Sure, the DVDs cost a little more, but I never saw this as Spinal Tap, and I'm a big rock and roll kind of guy. Mm -hmm. So I remember renting it, and just I thought it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I didn't see this as a kid at all. I, I remember hearing about it, and I remember hearing about clips of it, and I thought it was a real documentary. Um, 
but it wasn't the first Christopher Guest movie I saw. I saw Best in Show before this. Oh, really? Uh, so I I wasn't a, I wasn't a yeah because that came out when I was like thirteen or something. But anyway, I saw Spinal Tap when I was like sixteen or seventeen, and again, so I knew it was I knew it was fake, but I thought it was so funny. And they this is probably the most. The one that looks like a documentary, the most of the three that we're going to talk about, like even the ones that are coming up, this one's definitely the most like seems documentary-ish of all of those three. Yeah, and I would say especially if you saw it back when it was out, yeah. released, because you know you, you might not recognize Michael McKeon, mm-hmm. but if you were to watch Best in Show, you'd be like, hey, that's Jim's dad from yeah. American Pie. Well, and Mike- Oh, she's in Home Alone. Yeah, there's a lot you know, more you, people you, in Best in Show. Yeah, yeah, you recognize them as movie stars. McKeon probably would have been the most famous of these guys at I would the say time, so. At the time. Yeah, he's the most recognizable. Yeah. Because uh, everyone else, I mean, there's a lot of people in here. There's, you know, like Fred Rusher has a role in here, and yeah, there's a lot of people. All, that was the beginning of their that was, Yeah, that was well before they were really popular. Like, the nanny wouldn't be made for, like, I don't know, 10 years or something crazy like that. So if Mike McKeon is the one that you would recognize the most. You know your movie's gonna be pretty good at like flying under the radar as far as actors go. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd seen this movie on it was on DVD. My buddy, he was, you know, he was one of those big film guys. So like this is one movie that he had heard of through whatever mm-hmm. list online and he had introduced me to it and I didn't know what to think of it at first because he's like, oh, no, you guys got to check it out. It's a documentary on a band. So I was kind of on the idea like it was a real movie. Mm-hmm. And then the more the movie unfolded, I was like, are like is this really real? Like this cannot be happening. Like all these situations are just absolutely ridiculous. Like yeah. all these insane scenes that are going <laughs> on here. And uh, one of the, the more impressive things I found out of this movie is that it was uh, highly improvised. Like they really only had character outlines and some of the backgrounds for the characters written, but everything was improvised, which, you know, you could tell, like, I think the cadence of this movie really lends to why it's so freaking hilarious. It's like, everything just can be so deadpan or like, you know, they take their time to pause. Cause we're actually thinking of some way to respond, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, but what what scenes were you guys <laughs> like? How do we want to break down so this movie? Because there's there's, well, so there's a billion scenes. things to break down. I'll, about this I'll, movie. I'll, I'll go because you you brought up the how the improvisation works and the you you really see this. You you can see that a certain character has something that they want to say to drive this plot into another direction. And I would say the first real strong instance of that is when they're the a whole band's together and they are talking about. Their drummer, yeah, and like how he died. Right. They never discussed it. So it was a tragic story, and and uh, yeah, I think the medical team said that he choked on vomit. Like, oh yeah. yes, and then someone decides to throw in, yeah, but it wasn't his vomit. Yeah, it may not have been his own <laughs> and vomit. So they yeah, have to not... start branching from yeah, there. You can't dust for vomit. Yeah. You can't dust for vomit. <laughs> like, but, but even before the one before that, it's even funny when the other guy he dies in a bizarre gardening accident. The other drummer, the first drummer, yeah, and the and the cop said it's a. Uh, it's better left unsolved, yeah. <laughs> which is like so funny. Like what a funny way to say that. Yeah, yeah. That was the first thing that struck me is like the, the their drummers are not persistent. So it's like the three band members are the three band members, and they also started with um, sort of like a Beatles like band. Yeah, which is even what was funny. it called? Their original name? Oh god, I I, I forgot what it was called. Now, their, dang it. Yeah, um, like, but their song was called "Give Me Some Money." <laughs> like the, Tem- the Thamesman or something like that. Something the like that. Yeah, "Give Me Some Money," and then they became like a Flower Child band at one point for a little bit. Yeah, then- I, I think a lot of this kind of echoes Judas Priest because oh, if yeah. you remember Judas Priest, their earliest footage like it late 60s yeah and they were very much like kind of like a flower child yeah band. well rob halford was in a band that was very much like that yeah yeah which it, is it like was so super funny. flower child and he's, yeah then he was, he's like a thrash metal god you know or yeah. British metal, metal god yeah and the, the last drummer spontaneously combusted yeah, on that, stage that was like the most memorable scene when i first saw it because like you know like you're it's almost that's like what more like, could they happen with the drummers yeah, it's like oh he spontaneously combusts and then you know nigel's like well you know that happens more often than you think really it's, yeah it's not that's that the unusual. one where you kind of question the reality of the movie 
<laughs> you had you had it all the way up until that point. And, you're like, and they instantly had a replacement on hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these go right through them. Yeah. Uh, so this movie is pretty significant, though. It's uh, in 2002 it was deemed culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant by Library of Congress, which is a pretty big accolade for a movie, especially of this kind. Yeah, uh, and it was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry, and it's been created with effectively launched in the mockumentary genre, as we discussed. They asked the actors which one, culturally, aesthetically, or uh, <laughs> like which one did they pick for? <laughs> they said they all settled on aesthetically. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so one, I think one of the things that makes this movie so fun is just the way it's shot too. There was a veteran, veteran cameraman uh, who was a documentarian com- cameraman. Excuse me, his name was a uh, Peter Smokler. So. He worked as a cinematographer, and he was responsible for the uh, the handheld style of the movie, which I think mm-hmm. really lends it to how well it looks as a documentary because it doesn't look like you know like a, like a shot movie. It just looks like someone's observing these guys live their lives and getting these ridiculous situations. Like uh, I'll point one out where um, Harry Shearer is going through the uh, the metal detector. <laughs> He's making so all these funny. excuses why it's tripping. Yeah, <laughs> it's like oh, it must be my belt. Oh, must be my rings. And each thing just gets more ridiculous till he like he takes out the giant cucumber out of his pants that's wrapped in foil. <laughs> <laughs> so good. That uh, was the um when I when I saw it for the first time, that was probably the first scene that made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah. And then uh, what it was fun to read with this too is that uh, you know, because a lot of the situations that the bands get in, like I guess it does happen to, to musicians because there's yeah. a lot of reactions to what this to what to this movie what this movie um, articulates. So there's a few reactions like I, I pointed out here. There was uh, Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, Jerry Cantrell, D. Snyder, all. Uh, Ozzy relate to the scene where they get lost backstage. That's so funny. Yeah, they have to go find a janitor. Who, like, yeah, to they're go. trying to get on stage at this one show and like just going in circles. Was and it Detroit? And they're like, hello, Detroit. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. They're rock like, and rock roll. and roll. Yeah, rock and roll. And they end up finding like this janitor who's like giving these very distinct directions. Like, you go left here, you see this, you go right, but then you go around here. Yeah. And they're like just gnawing their head and eventually they get on stage. <laughs> it's I, so I gotta funny. say, like, I actually had a moment like that yesterday at work. Where we were supposed to go meet, we had like a little, you know, for fun work thing going on, and so our team's starting to walk around like, oh, they're they're not in here. Oh, I thought it was going to be in this room. So we're just walking around the building, and, and I was just like, rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> I love that scene so much. Yeah, it's uh, kind of like I, you know. I mean, I feel like we could do a whole episode on this movie itself because yeah. it's just so good. But I mean, it's like just on that. Like the re- there was another reaction was uh, Lars from Metallica. He's their drummer. Uh, they were on tour with Guns N' Roses in 92, which was a notorious tour because this was when James Hetfield, uh, he got in a pyrotechnics accident where like he mm. stepped back or something and like his whole arm went up in flames and he had burns. And yeah, and Lars was uh, was credited with saying that tour was, that tour seemed so spinal tap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kurt Cobain said there's no, there's never been a good rock and roll documentary and Dave Grohl corrected him saying, except spinal tap, that was the only rock movie worth watching. Uh, Steven Tyler from Aerosmith didn't see the humor in this at all. He thought it was just like dumb and not funny, which uh, I almost think that maybe it's, it's hitting too close to home. So he's like, what's so funny about all these things yeah, that aren't funny? That happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think anyone that was, uh, that had the sort of air of self-importance that Spinal Tap had might feel that this hits a little too close yeah. to home. Yeah. yeah and additionally with that, uh, Aerosmith at this time had released an album called uh, Rock in a Hard Place that had Stonehenge on the cover. So Amazing. maybe that hit a little too close to home for that scene. You know what scene... I love that comes kind of close after that is the one where uh, what's the name of Christopher Guest's character? I forget his name. Uh, his Nigel. name, yes. Nigel. When no, no, Ni- it's, it's oh. David. Okay, David. When he's showing from Michael McKeon? 
no, no, no. He oh, said Christopher sorry. Guest. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm Nigel. Sorry. Yeah, so Nigel's showing the guitarist to um, Rob Reiner. And yes. the first one, he won't even let him touch, which is like really great. He's like, the pickups on this, the sustain, you can just hold that. Yeah, he's like, and he's like, well, it's not on, but you yeah. can imagine if it was. <laughs> <laughs> he's like singing the, the, the one note. like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's so funny. And then when he goes to the amp and he's like, you know, sometimes yeah, you need a is, little bit more. Um. This is probably the most iconic scene. I think it's referenced everywhere. I mean, there's a lot of scenes, yeah. but this is probably the one that, I mean, it made an expression. Yeah. But, but go ahead, Mike. So he's setting it up. I didn't mean to take this away if anybody wanted to do no, this. No, I mean, okay. we're gonna, it's, it's inevitable. Gonna, it's inevitable. Everyone knows this okay. scene. Okay. Seen this uh, movie. Okay. So they, they go to this amp and... Christopher Guest is explaining that, or Nigel, I should say, is explaining that if you need a little bit more, if you need a little bit more sound, a little bit more fuller, like louder sound, you can go from a 10 to 11. And Rob Reiner, because and he thinks he sounded something so profound by this, like this is the coolest thing ever. And Rob Reiner just simply points out, like, well, why don't you just make 10 a little louder and then just have 10 be the loudest? Why does it have to be 11? And he does, Nigel doesn't have anything to say. He's like, well, these go to 11. Well, well and that's the thing is he pauses, right? Yeah. Like he, yeah. the, the, the thing is like, like you're right. He's so casual. Like he has a cigarette out. He's chewing gum. He's showing him his showroom about all the guitars and everything. He goes to his amp and yeah, he's like, he just pauses for like, I don't know. I saw like five or six Cause he, seconds. Cause he, he has no way to, to yeah. counter that. Like he's just trying to showcase this awesome amp head. He thought that this was the coolest thing ever. And then yeah. Rob Reiner com- completely tears <laughs> it to shreds immediately. And he just like has nothing to say. But and like yeah. he, he can't understand it because 11 is more than 10. Yeah. yeah. So in his <laughs> yeah. mind, he's like, but yeah, this but goes to eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's like, you know, all these 11. amps, you know, they go to ten. But if you just want to go one up, one yeah, louder, one louder. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> like, well, these go to eleven. Yeah, <laughs> like I just, I could watch that scene in its own, it's and so it's, funny. it's so good. And that movie, I mean, that scene encapsulates the entire movie. If you, if you laugh at that, like you'll love this movie yeah. all the way through. Because it's just like such a ridiculous thing to even defend. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he thinks it's so profound, and then it's just stupid. Like that's that's this movie is that there's this so much like profound language, and then you realize the idiocy underneath everything is just like perfect yeah i think there's layers to how dumb they are but you know kind of like obliviously dumb Mm -hmm. they're not like just idiots it's just they're talented musicians like all three of them are genuinely talented musicians too like they Mm -hmm. wrote all the songs for this movie but they play such like you know dummies but it's like they're brilliant musicians right it's kind of like it's it balances itself out but also lends to how great the movie is because they're kind of dumb. Yeah, and <laughs> they in their minds, really dumb stuff. in their minds, they think they're saying very competent things. Like mm-hmm. this goes to eleven. If to him was like a profound idea that he loved this idea that like, oh, I can get an amp that goes a little higher. And Rob Reiner's like, well, yeah, but you could just make ten higher, and that would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and there's and I think it's in that same scene around there, but when he's playing the piano, and I just playing like this really oh, nice God, melancholy that's why, that's why second melody. Favorite. Yeah. And then Rob Reiner's like... It's in D minor. Yeah, he's like, it's in D minor, the saddest of all keys. And Rob Reiner's like, oh, yeah, that's that's really something. What do you call that? And again, he's chewing his gum. He's like... Lick my love pump. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is called Lick My Love Pump. Yeah. Yeah. yeah after he's talking about how this is like sad. a musical trilogy, really. Uh-huh. And just, it's a mock yeah, of Mozart and Bach. Uh, like I said, this movie, these characters have such an air of self-importance. So, and there's... I've never really cared for the music bands that were like that, where... Everything was so over the top. Like this kind of reminds me of a little bit of like Iron Maiden, mm-hmm. so to speak. And I'm not the big Maiden guy. And but that scene, it, that's my favorite line in the movie because <laughs> it's just so out of nowhere. Because yeah. it's this beautiful thing that he's playing on the piano. Yeah. yeah. Because you know D minor, it's the, the saddest, sad, of, the all saddest the keys. of all the keys. <laughs> yeah. D, yeah. D minor. Uh, so we could talk about all the music in this movie, but uh, for me, like I-, I love this kind of music to begin with, right? So mm-hmm. spoiler alert: this is my favorite of the three movies to talk about, and genuinely one of my favorite movies ever. Like I could watch this, much like many other movies, anytime, any place, 
and I can enjoy it every time. It's so good. Uh, but the music for me especially is what stands out because it's 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 80s rock, but there, there are actually some great songs in here. What's your favorite song? Uh, so... It's tough. I really love Big Bottom because yeah. it's totally absurd. It's so dick- yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, it's so, so ridiculous. Yeah, so uh, with that one, they're all playing bass and like they're trying to get the most bottomed out heavy yeah. song. <laughs> and and Derek has a double neck bass. Yeah. Nigel has a bass. Like it's really just kick drums and tom-toms. Like there's not yeah. really anything else. Like they just want to get it as deep as possible. <laughs> and on stage performing with them in uh, on their live shows would have like this giant inflatable like woman's buttocks. Yeah. <laughs> I got. I just got one line of lyrics here. It's uh, the bigger the cushion, the sweeter the potion. That's what I said. <laughs> oh the looser God. the waistband, the deeper the quicksand. Or so I've read. <laughs> my my baby fits me like a flesh tuxedo. I love to sink her with my pink torpedo. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> like it's oh just, and then there's a video. I think it was like 2008, but it's like every metal band you can imagine. There's like ant, um, band members from Anthrax, Metallica. I forgot who else. They're on stage with Spinal Tap playing Big Bottom with like 15 bass guitars. <laughs> I love that. It's worth so checking funny. out. It's it's really good. Just Google like, you know, I think it's called like 2000 Live Aid. This is Spinal Tap or something yeah. like that. It's great. Uh, but what were your standouts for songs? Uh, my my favorite, because I don't like all the songs. I do, the Big Bottom's hilarious. My favorite is the first one you hear. Oh, yeah. It's tonight, a great one. I'm going to rock you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> it's not... Tonight I'm gonna rock you, no. or I'm gonna rock you tonight. No, it's tonight I'm gonna rock you tonight. Uh, this one was just a great way to start the movie, essentially. Yeah, and it lived on. And uh, was it Guitar Hero Two? Uh, Guitar Hero Two's would have it. I thought that was really freaking cool. When uh, I think you could unlock it, or if it was one of the earlier songs, yeah. I don't know. But it was a really great treat to have in there. Yeah, and and it is a really catchy song. Mm-hmm. Like it's good. It's got a really great riff, good good chorus. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I would say that one is probably my favorite, but a close one is is it "Give Me My Money"? Is that the the first song they ever made when they were? Uh, give me some money. Give me some money. Yeah, that song's really funny because it kind of has this like ro- early Rolling Stones vibe to it, but it's just like it the does. song's just about like ma- like give like he just wants money. That's it. Like it's just like really funny. But it, it has like this yeah Rolling Stones kind of vibe. It to does. It. Yeah, I mean these are definitely influenced by other bands of the time, mm-hmm. you know. But um, it was funny. Like I mentioned to you guys, like I'd watched randomly. Don't tell mom. The Babysitter's Dead for the first time in like twenty something years. Like I've seen that movie like five times over my lifetime, and I was like, you know, I was like on the computer or something. I heard gave me some money back. I was like, what? Like that's in here? Like I didn't recognize that when I was a kid because you know it was before I'd seen Smile Tap. But it's kind of a, a random song to have in a movie. But maybe it's because they could afford the rights or something. But yeah. it was interesting that it was on the soundtrack. It's really good. Do you remember when uh, Spinal Tap was on The Simpsons? I was about to ask. Yeah, you that. that was I, great. I forgot I watched, about that one. I watched that episode this week because I wanted to refresh. It is so funny when he's like <laughs> telling them that the the stage is a hockey rink usually, so it's like kind of wet and wet. And the guys, like, Michael McKean's like, "This is a rock and roll concert, not a the splish splash show." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was so good. I thought they were a real band because I only knew them from Simpsons. So mm-hmm. I thought that was like Spinal Tap yeah, was like, like a, real a guest band. star or something. Yeah, they were. And they played themselves and everything. And they were really funny too in that one. It must have been funny for Harry Sure to be like, yeah, I got, you know, I could, I could you know, give a call to Christopher Guest and, and Michael McKeon. They'll, they'll yeah. be on there. We'll, we'll reunite for this, you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to touch on are the uh, the different albums and specifically the, uh, the album for. So there's a whole sort of subplot with uh, an album that they have coming out, that Spinal Tap is coming out called Smell the Glove. 
The, <laughs> there's a lot of controversy about just the cover of it. Like oh, Fran yeah. Drescher's at this uh, at this little party, and he's, they're arguing with the manager of Spinal Tap because the cover has, I think it's like a woman on all fours with like this black glove and like a leash or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, she's being held by a leash. She's yeah. being held by a leash. So they think yeah. that's absolutely offensive, which it is. It's totally offensive. And Spinal yeah. Tap are trying to argue for it. Like, no, no, like you just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> so they go back to the drawing board, and then they just come back with this completely black album, this black vinyl, and then the introduction to the band is so freaking hilarious because the manager brings it to him. He's trying to convince them why they, they couldn't go smell the gloves original, you know, art. And then Nigel's looking at it, he's like, he's like, you know, really examining this thing. He's like, you know, it's like it's like the questions like someone could ask, like, how much more black could this get? And the answer is, you know, none more black. None, none, yeah. none, none, none more, more black. black. And, and what I loved from Nigel was when um, Fran Drescher's trying to explain why yeah. you can't do yeah. this. It's sexist. And like, what's wrong with being sexy? Yeah. yeah. What's wrong with being sexy? What's wrong with being sexy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sexist. Yeah. Like, yeah, they enunciate yeah. there. Sag after president. Uh, That's right. Yep. Fran Drescher. Yeah. First, first, one of her first roles, I think. Uh, yeah, it was, was one of the Saturday early Night ones. Fever and um, I don't know what else before. But yeah. Fr- Saturday Night Fever is probably the first role I can remember of hers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was great in this too. She was really funny. She was really she's, hilarious. She's I mean, everyone funny. was really funny in this movie. Like, I don't know. There's certain. I mean, there's some people in there for like minutes, but they make a pretty big impression in those few minutes that they're in just from the stuff they say because everything's just so offhand and off the wall. Like, there yeah. was a hundred hours of footage for this. We didn't talk about Fred Willard. Exactly. Which is, Fred Willard. Yeah, I wanted to get to that scene uh, with the yeah the band's playing at a. So it's funny. like an airport hangar or something like that for like Air, Air, Force. Air, Force. Air Force. Yeah, they they were originally going to go to another show, but that fell through. So That's they quickly right. booked this one just to have them do a show, and they didn't know it was going to be at this like Air Force hangar and. Fred Willard's like the uh, captain of the Air Force. Sorry. Yeah, he's he's basically like the CEO of the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's funny when he's talking with them because it's almost like he's giving them the rundown as if they're just like a local high school band. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, yeah, you can have this gig. It's all good. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love when he's like, I love your stuff. Well, not you personally. I've never heard of it. But the whole rock and roll genre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's really so. Th- what's funny about that scene too is that right before that, Nigel's talking about how they have these uh, these wireless guitar. Um, you know, uh, I guess they're like I don't know what we yeah, call packs. them. Yeah, yeah, the packs, so they can play wirelessly, right? And then in the middle of their show, they get like some radio interference from the Air Force. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they're playing their song, and you hear like this random chatter, which I found out was actually the band members speaking normal voices over the PA. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, the so f- when Fred Willard is letting him in, he's talking and he's like, "Well, we'll get you in, get you on stage, you know, get it over with." <laughs> and then he's like, "He's like, yeah, but with my, you know, long hair, you guys probably wouldn't be able to fit in the Air Force. But with my long hair, I'd probably be able yeah. to join the band." He's like, he's getting a little scruffy back yeah. there, and it's like, like the most tailored haircut. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, then, short. and the best line at the end of that, he's like, "I'm joking, of course." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny, and that the only other really funny line that he has is when he goes, uh, "One request that you play a couple of slow." Song so the missus and I can dance because <laughs> he has no idea who these guys are or what they do. Yeah, he's just trying to be cordial, and it's like he's just totally oblivious and just yeah. doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's just like trying to welcome them, but it's also like he's almost kind of condescending anyway because they're almost feeling like insulted that they don't know anything. It's a running theme for what we're going to be doing for the for the rest of this, where Fred Willard steals the show. He like, really you does. Know? He, he's <laughs> oh my god, so funny and everything. He's in, in. Everything these he's movies, in. Modern Family. Yeah, he's just one of the best on screen presences for me. Yeah, just so perfect all the time. So so this. This scene kind of leads into the next, I guess we'll call it like towards the end of the movie or the third act, because it's a pretty short movie. It's, it's yeah. only like an hour and 20, I think, hour 25, super short, and it goes by insanely fast. But uh, so one of the, the, the conflicts of the movie is that um, 
what's his name? St. Hubbins, uh, David St. Hubbins, Michael McKeon, his girlfriend starts being, you know, like she comes on tour with the band, eventually becomes a manager. Before this massive explosion happens where they just have this conflict where the man, their original manager leaves, uh, there's a scene, Randy, with uh, with Stonehenge that we love so much. Yep. I was going to say, there's there was three little scenes that I wanted to yeah. just briefly touch on, and this one I wanted to a little bit more than briefly <laughs> Wait, This touch is a great on. scene. It's so funny. <laughs> go go but you want to carry it? Go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. You do. I okay. just wanted to make sure we didn't leave it out. Oh, we would, would never do such a thing. No, no. It's, it's, it's up there. <laughs> yeah, so there's a scene where they're planning out their, their next show, and uh, the manager is drawing out Stonehenge. You want to put Stonehenge on stage with this, you know, this great, uh, this great statue reflecting Stonehenge and they have a band has the band has a song called Stonehenge. So he's drawing it out and it's great. I love the scene because you know you, you see it on the on the on the napkin like what they're writing out and sketching out and then when they actually present what they've made for Stonehenge. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's so the person who's in charge of, of manufacturing it, she brings it to him and it's just sitting on a table and then the manager's yeah. like, "Well, great, that's going to look great when it's full size." And she's like, "What do you mean like this is full size? This is your specification?" He's like, "What the hell do you mean? I thought this is a model. This is going to go on stage. What do you mean?" And then she pulls out the napkin and it says 18 inches by 18 inches instead yeah. of feet. Yeah. <laughs> Because he doesn't write, he actually doesn't write any unit of measurement. It's just the two little lines, yeah. which I think it's eighteen inches. Yeah, yeah. He put double quotes instead of single quotes. Yeah, so yeah She's yeah. like, she didn't question. She's there. She was told. Yep. And the band has no choice but to use this. And the band doesn't realize it. <laughs> no. no. The only the manager they knows. Don't know. yeah. <laughs> they don't know yet. They're- so at, in the middle of the Stonehenge song, they're playing. There's like this folk song, like this acoustic and, folk part, and it's such a like a they set it up so it's like so elegant and like purposeful. Yeah, they're wearing like these hoods and yeah. robes and everything. It's gonna be this big part, yeah. Yeah, and then descending from the ceiling, <laughs> this tiny Stonehenge model. Like, yeah, that's, and, oh my god. And then they have little people dancing around it who look like just giants compared yeah. to this little thing. <laughs> Like, they're just like so yeah, dancing a jig around it, and uh, <laughs> yeah. when they show Michael McKeon as he's looking at it, it this look of they're horror, just flabbergasted. Like, what is yeah. Right now? yeah, they're both like looking at each other like what 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 is this? Like they're just trying not to interrupt the song, and they're just oh like just un- they can't believe what's happening in front of them. <laughs> it is so funny. <laughs> and then afterwards, when they're arguing about it, about how the specifications and everything, and it was like. We had a Stonehenge prop that was in danger of being crushed <laughs> yeah. by dwarves. <laughs> so Oh funny. my god. god so, really and, so good. Yeah. Another one of those scenes similar to that was when Harry Shareer gets trapped in the pod. Oh, oh of yeah. course. That's a great one. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Because they all go out of these like, you know, um, invasion of the body centers type pods and everybody's opens except for Harry Shareer's who who doesn't open at all. So then event- eventually he has to start playing. So he just plays his bass in the pod. <laughs> yeah, and then the stagehand tries to pry him out or like he's <laughs> yeah. got like a crowbar or some and then of course the pod opens just as the song en- is ends and then Harry Shearer steps out and he's realized the song's over and he steps back in and yeah. it closes up around him. <laughs> Yeah, they had to pull out a, a, like a welder. They yeah. had a blowtorch yeah. going to try and open it up from behind. It's so funny. And then another, it was just a little small scene that it was probably the first scene in the movie when I rewatched it just the other week that just really made me just giggle because of how perfect it was lampooning hard rock self-importance is just just a random scene of them just playing a song and Nigel starts this killer guitar solo and then he just starts doing the classic, you know, slowly dropping to your knees yeah. and, and leaning back and then how guitarists guitar right. always get back up and, and he's on his knees and on his back and he, he can't, can't get back up. He keeps prolonging the solo <laughs> so this roadie's coming out <laughs> and essentially just trying to pull him up off yeah. the ground and push him back to his feet until he finally does it and you just see this big smile on Nigel's face like, yes, mission accomplished. 
accomplished. And it's just oh so, so funny. Guys, like, I already want to watch this movie again. <laughs> I and know. I just watched like a week ago. And then previous that, I probably watched like a month ago. It's so funny. <laughs> it's right up our alley. Yeah. It's exactly our uh, humor. Of these three movies, it has my favorite premise. It's the, the setup agree. and, you know, the base of the movie is... It's hard to top. Well, everything works cohesively here. Like, I'm not saying the other ones didn't, but this, like, the theme, the way they shot it, the, the jokes, it all works so freaking well. Like, it feels like a complete, you know, like a documentary. Though it's, it's a fake one, yeah. but it feels like a complete movie. Yeah. Uh, so, to kind of fast forward to the end. So, there's a conflict with, with Nigel and David. They end up breaking up, like, much like bands do. Uh, because of the female manager, which is very Yoko owner of her to do. Like, she just kind of drives a wedge between them. And Nigel's you know, reluctant to join the band again, and he's always kind of, like, seen from afar. Uh, you know, and what's left of the band, they're playing shows, but no one really cares. They care even less because Nigel's not there. Yeah. And then towards the end of the movie, Nigel comes back because um, their old manager reconnected with him. They reach <clears> out <throat> to David, and they find out that uh, Sex Farm, which is their latest song, is doing really well in Japan, and then the band reunites. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of when, you know, you don't see what happens next. And then, Mike, you found out. I didn't realize this was even announced, but there's a Spinal Tap 2 coming this year, I think. Or yeah. Or going to start production this it's year? starting production this year. And it's going to have, like, a lot of, fa- like, U2s in it, and there's uh, other famous bands that are going to be in it. But it's starting this year. And in addition, they've done, like, a live show that was um, filmed, and they've done, obviously, like, The Simpsons did that too so there's actually a lot of like post uh this is spinal tap spinal tap stuff which is crazy because again like this movie was made 40 years ago and they're still they're not like relevant to the zeitgeist necessarily but they're still relevant in the sense that like you know they're still putting their heads up and people know who they are like they went on tour in 09 with and they and the the yeah so they they've been around for a long time yeah they keep doing this yeah this movie not only did it you know influence the mockumentary genre in movies but just look at tv that's yeah. true. Modern like, Family, Arrested yeah, Development, uh, modern, if The you Office. Put that back in back in the day, like The mm-hmm. Office or something, it would just be kind of weird. But after seeing how effective this formula can work in Spinal Tap, like, well, why don't we do this in TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they even like Blair Witch Project and like those found footage horror movies. That's right. Kind of the same yeah, kind of Cloverfield stuff, you know? and all those. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the movie ends, and then there's this, you know, it's a great has one of my favorite credits really, where everyone's just like riffing off Reign of Things. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we get to final thoughts for this movie, anything you want to add before or go through beforehand? No, I, I think we covered we it all. Yeah, like, we yeah we, we've droned on a while about this, and I, I don't mind it one bit because it's, it's been a blast. Yeah, just like watching this movie is a blast. It really is. So if you haven't seen this, is Spinal Tap, absolutely check it out. Like it's it's pretty streaming anywhere. You could find it on Blu-ray, on DVD. They uh, Turner Classic Movies. If you um, go to their website and you just sign up for it. I was expecting like ad breaks, never got a single one. Wow. So it's only, yeah, it's not like an app that you can have. But what I did was I used like my, you know, my internet browser app on my TV Mm -hmm. and just went to it and watched it. it And it was in good quality. Oh, yeah, you could cast it, yeah. Yeah, you could cast it, but I also just used the browser app and it was was perfectly fine. It didn't stop, buffer, or anything like that. And the quality was good. So you can watch it for free if you sign up on that. All right. All right. Well, cool. fans full time, I would say, no matter what, uh, I'll probably watch this again soon. I love it. But uh, if, again, if you haven't, definitely check this one out. And now we get to our doggone crazy movie. Uh. She is really giving him a thorough going over. Are all judges that thorough? I mean, yes, she looks yes. at the teeth. It's very important that all the attributes are examined: uh, teeth, eyes, Runs ears, the... Ouch. gums. Am I seeing right? Where's she putting her hands now? Uh, she's just checking out the dog's. Uh, Testicular area Ooh. to make sure <laughs> to make sure that uh, that everything is intact. Hate to go out on a date with Judge uh, Edie Franklin, have her judge me. That'd be no fun. All right, fellas, the next movie in our Christopher Guest 
sort of mockumentary trilogy is another fun one released in 2000, uh, Best in Show. This one uh, has very much the same cast, except it adds, uh, excuse me, it adds Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara to this. And this one is all about dogs and a dog show and all these quirky people getting their dogs to the dog show to win the dog show. Uh, where were you guys when you originally saw this one? Yeah, this is the first. Uh, this is the first Christopher Guest movie I ever saw. Saw Waiting for Guffman after this, but uh, this is the first Christopher Guest movie I ever saw. And I thought it was a documentary. For uh, you, eventually, kind of get the idea that okay, this isn't a documentary. There's no way this could be happening. But there is like a point where I thought this was an actual documentary about a dog show, about the Mayflower dog show. I'm like, oh, I must just never, this must be like not the Westminster, basically. Uh, so I thought it was real, and it's hilarious. Yeah, this one looks more like a documentary than even Spinal Tap did, just in terms of how they produced it, because mm-hmm. you know it, it does look newer and, and better. Uh, but this movie, <laughs> so I'd seen this uh, at Hollywood Video. I forgot if one of you guys told me about it. Possibly. Probably Possibly. <laughs> and, yeah, probably you, probably, but it was it was freaking hilarious. And uh, But Randy, go, when was your first experience with this one? Um, I do remember all the buzz about this movie because I remember, like, you know, award show coming around and everyone was talking about Best in Show. And and it wasn't for a little while that I realized that it was a mockumentary in, by Christopher Guest, just like this is Spinal Tap. So I did see it not too long. I didn't see it in 2000, but I did see it a few years later. And it's probably my favorite of his movies. I feel like by this point, not only did you have the strong cast that you had in Spinal Tap, minus Harry Shearer. Was he in this? I don't he I don't think he's not. in this. I don't think he was. Which was really strange. Yeah. So you subtract Harry Shearer, but you're adding Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Jennifer Coolidge, um, Jane Lynch. Who's oh, yeah. She's hilarious. fantastic in this movie. Like, so, and Parker Posey. Yep. And then I forget the guy's name. Uh, Michael, Hitchcock. Michael Hitchcock. He is so real, he's Hamilton. He was Swan. really good. He's, yeah, he's Parker Posey's boy, uh, husband. Yeah. Excuse me. So they really rounded out this cast with a lot of improvisational masters, so to speak. And I feel like this is the one that's the most consistently amusing for me because you kind of grow to like every character except maybe not Parker Posey and, <laughs> and her husband but they're you hilarious. laugh at them though you laugh at them yeah. for sure yeah. and you're kind of like you know rooting for just about everybody else even if they are a little full of themselves at times but they're they're is still endearing especially Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara they're they're probably my favorite here next to Christopher Guest himself as as Harlan <laughs> as, as the guy with the bloodhound he blood chameleons himself <laughs> he into really this. does like oh, yeah. you wouldn't, you probably wouldn't even recognize it unless you were looking at IMDb at the time. Yeah, he's got sort of a, I guess it's sort of a southern accent because he's from like Pine Nut, North Carolina, or something like that. Uh, and you know, his whole thing is he has his bloodhound who is named uh, Walter. Name here? Walter? No, it's Hubert. Uh, Hubert, yeah. Hubert the bloodhound. Who's gonna go fishing? Yeah, who's gonna go fishing? <laughs> so it's just like you know, Hubert's like his best friend mm-hmm. at this point, and you know, in this movie, such a noble breed. Yeah, and I think this movie really does play on the the old you know motif of. Uh, dog owners or dogs look like their owners, I think is what it is, right? Or something like that. Because you have uh, you have Winky the Norwich Terrier, who is Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara's dog. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he the dog's like, and, and he's like the quietest of all the dogs. He's the one with the, the least amount of personality, I guess you'd say. But like, he's just a cute little dog. He's just yeah. cute the whole time. But one of the most persistent jokes throughout this movie is Catherine O'Hara's character. She plays a cookie fleck. Yeah. And she is known as being pretty promiscuous Gosh, in this in movie. Past, her, in her poor past, Eugene Levy. <laughs> yeah. And Eugene Levy is like this really sweet, you know, kind of a, a nerdy guy. He's just like quiet to himself. Like he's kind of humble. And he's got 
Cookie Fleck, who's like, you know, she's much more attractive than he is, really. Yeah. But throughout the whole movie, it's really funny when, like, she encounters someone from her past and, like, all of a sudden all these memories bubble up and Eugene Levy's just, like, dumbfounded when he finds out. <laughs> yeah. It, it's so pervasive that even in the dog show, uh, the announcer goes, like, I recognize her for some way. That handler looks familiar. vaguely familiar to yeah. me. <laughs> I, re- I remember when I first heard that, like, I bursted out laughing. It's so funny. Yeah, that's the running gag is she's basically been with hundreds. She even says hundreds of hundreds. Of yeah, because he was saying, like, oh, yeah, you know, she had a history, like, dozens, and then she kind of has this look to her face. Hundreds. Hundreds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, one, I did not know that. One of the scenes, well, one of the characters I like on this movie too is uh, Ed Bigley Jr. He's the hotel manager. Yeah, he's so good in it too. <laughs> and he's just, you know, he, he's also just kind of deadpan direct about what he's doing. And the whole scene that sets up with this is that uh, the, the Flex, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hare are trying to check in their hotel room. And this, I think, kind of paints about how these characters are because they try to check in, their credit card doesn't work, and then Catherine O'Hare this whole time is like arguing with the person on the phone. So like, rub. Yeah, it's like, no, we, we, have, we, have two, we have two notices. We can get two notices yeah. before they, we have to pay. So they're clearly broke beyond belief, uh-huh. traveling across the country in their motorhome to, you know, to get on the dog show that I had no business getting into, because I don't think you win anything for this, right? I don't think Oh, you, you win the, the Mayflower. It was basically like a, a mock uh, best Westminster, kind yeah, of the I mean, same idea. Did they get money for that, though? Like, well, they became local money? celebrities. So yeah, well, that's right. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. No, I'm pretty sure they won a prize. Yes. Mm. I know they got the Mayflower I, I, Cup. Because like in the, the the coda of the movie, they're like doing this whole recording thing, and it's like, it's probably because someone was like, "Hey, you got some money? How about you do this recording?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. Uh, and then another two characters I want to touch on that are really freaking hilarious is um, Michael McKeon and John I, Michael Higgins as so the gay cool. couple. <laughs> they were so they were so good. Like they they were they like it's hard to say what's the most hilarious part of this movie for me, but they are so freaking hilarious. And and they're so like wholesomely genuine with each other as boyfriends. Yeah. Like, they're just like the best. You you know, and I saw somebody who said that like all of the uh, like the most straight couples are like the worst couples in this, and then the gay couples are always the best in this show and or in this movie. And it's like really true. Like they have the most healthy relationships out of anybody in the yeah. Like movie. they're off their own world. So so uh, John Michael Higgins he plays Scott Donlin, who's like the more effeminate of the two. Yeah. So it's like even before he gets to the hotel, like he's he's panicking about how he's gonna pack. I love that scene. <laughs> like how many kimonos he needs. For I laughed with my wife about because she's <laughs> she's an overpacker, and I was like, watch this scene because he's like, uh, you have eight kimonos. We're gonna be there for forty eight hours. Yeah. So. So I need two more. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're clearly well off. Their dog's names are uh, Miss Agnes and Tyrone the Shih Tzu. They're both Shih Tzus, yeah. <laughs> they're both Shih Tzus. And uh, there's one hilarious scene before the dog show where, um, you know, they're talking to their dog Tyrone over the phone. Singing. <laughs> and he's singing. I forgot what the song was called, but it's, they, an, it's an old Irish folk song. <laughs> was it like it was one of Tyrone's favorites. Marian, uh, oh, God. It was called. Mary John beside her out of her grave. Drew a little red. Yeah, I think this song's called Barbara Allen. It's an old folk yeah, song, Barbara or something, Allen. and it was covered by uh, I forget, by Joan Baez. That's who it was. She they, that that seems really funny too because in the beginning of that they're like hammering a poster or like a uh, it's a, a carpet. Yeah, he's got a whole carpet in the hotel room. And he's hammering on the wall like he's getting he's making his home. Going to a hotel room and nailing something yeah. on the yeah, wall. Yeah, it, it immediately <laughs> makes you realize that these people are you know kind of oblivious to how rude that is. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's insane. right. The audacity is so funny. They're wearing like silk kimonos too yeah. while they're in bed, like just, you know, fawning over each other. It's so good. I love their relationship is so good in that. I love it. And then the, um, we, we got to talk about Parker Posey and yes. Michael Hitchcock. The absolute opposite. The movie starts on them where they're, they're with the therapist and they're talking about how he saw us making love 
and it's just become this really awkward thing. So you're you're thinking they're talking about their child, like because that would be kind of weird, you know. You go to the therapist, yeah, you probably want to tell them about this, mm-hmm. and and then finally they pan over to the dog, who's obviously traumatized. According yeah. to them, <laughs> the dog doesn't know what the hell is happening. Yeah. The dog's just like you know half napping on this little bed. That dog is the the most calm dog. In the entire movie, what he gets what he gets put through uh, yes, by those two. Owners. I was gonna ask because when I was watching this, I was like, "Did anybody else feel bad?" Oh, for oh this yeah, dog that's why the dog was depressed. But not the character dog, the actor dog. Yeah, because yeah. he had to deal with because these people screaming at him. Exactly. <laughs> like, they must have been so nice to him between takes. Otherwise, why would this dog put up with that? Yeah, my wife said the same thing. She's like, "This poor guy." I'm like, "I know, but it's really awesome that he's able to get through this without even." Being uh, remotely triggered by it, yeah. yeah the, those the, the swans, as they are, uh, they're the two preppy people who mm-hmm. put on this facade that they're just fine, happy, everything's okay. But inside, they're both like just toxic people to each other. <laughs> like they get in these arguments over nothing. They're both combative, and it's just like uh, you know the scene we'll, we'll get to with um, they're trying to find the busy bee, which yeah. is their dog Beatrice's favorite toy, and they can't find this busy bee. It's this little bee, and they're at the show, which is going to cause stress to Beatrice. But Michael, uh, but Hamilton Swan is screaming about the busy bee at the dog's face. Get that busy bee. Get that busy bee. Yeah. Go find it. Right. Go. Yeah. Go. Uh, and even before that, so when they set up like how unlikable these people are, the first thing they do is talk about how they met each other at Starbucks yes. across the street yes. from each other. But not the same Starbucks. Not the same Starbucks. And they both have braces, like adult braces. And uh, yeah, they met at different Starbucks. And then they talk about the, their orders. And you're just like, God, these people are the worst. And then they talk about like reading through an L.L. Bean catalog. Yes, that's how they connected. You just hate, like, <laughs> at the end of that interview, you're just like, God, these people are just the worst. <laughs> and it's funny when, uh, <laughs> I think it's Eugene Levy's telling the swans some story about something. No, that's when um, Christopher Guest's character is talking to them about, oh, that's uh, for Harlan. Like, you can get yeah. like a, a, you know, a Peppermint Adams or a Beaumont, uh, Beaumont Jones or he's something like that. just boring the swans yeah. to death with his stories. Um, even like a bloodsucking leech, you know, you put it on the side of that. It, it, yeah. They, yeah. And they're just like staring at him like he's a freak. Like, well, and then Hamilton <laughs> interrupts them to change the subject. He's like, is yeah. that an L.L. Bean sweater? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So, uh, what else? What else do we want to break down? Is there any other favorite so, scenes? Well, now that we've kind of you well, know discussed all the, the players of we, it, not yet. I feel there's two more we haven't talked about. Of Jane the, Lynch and uh, yes, Rhapsody that's right. and that's White. Right. Yeah, the, her dog is Rhapsody and White, who's like the the, the top dog. Yeah, the, and, and she's uh, her real name's Butch, but she goes by Rhapsody and White when she's on like stage. And she's the top dog. She's the one that's like the previous the front, champion. Yeah, the previous champion, front runner to win it again. Uh, and she's coached by Jane Lynch, who's kind of this domineering, you know. Yeah, she's a professional A-type. dog handler because yeah. this dog is owned by some really, really old, rich dude yeah. who has a trophy wife, Stifler's mom, Jennifer Coolidge. Which has some, one of the best scenes where she's like, we can. We we can talk and not talk. We can we can not, not talk, talk for, for hours. For hours. Yeah. We both like soup. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's pretty much Anna Cole Smith and her husband right. she had where right. she was like in her I don't know thirties twenties thirties and he was like eighty something some oil yeah. guy I don't remember what it was yeah, yeah and yeah, Jennifer yeah. Coolidge is freak I think she's. It sucks because I think she's kind of you know um, what's we're looking for like uh, typecast yes, you know right yeah. in certain roles. Mm-hmm. But it's like the one she excels in. She's really freaking hilarious. It's and she's just, great in the movies that we're going to talk about. She's so good in this one. She's, she's good, pretty so good. versatile. Maybe more than she gets credit for. But I understand because like she's known, like you said, Randy Stifler's mom is probably the, known, the one role she's known yep. for. And then, and then now White Lotus. Where yeah, she was great. Oh, that's right. Out of, it, out of it, she is 
hilarious in White Lotus. And she's great in this. She's so funny. And her like responses to things are so funny. And yeah, she's great. And same with Jane Lynch. Uh, she's Jane also Lynch is really Yeah, no, so this. secretly, Jane Lynch and her are together they're behind. lovers well, yeah, yeah i don't know until that it's heavily implied middle, but uh, you can it's tell implied, that yes. you can tell that there's an attraction and you can tell that jane lynch especially is attracted oh, yeah. to her uh which is you know she's a beautiful woman how could you not be but it like it's very implied and then it's not implied eventually but it's very implied that maybe they're not together at that point or like you know hooking up it's a secret they're but, they're obviously not trying to show that they're together well yeah, they only you only find out because the the dog show camera kind of picks it up on the side mm-hmm. yeah and I, I would say jennifer coolidge is, is like jane lynch wants to show that they're kind of together yeah. jennifer coolidge wants to stand off because it's also the perspective right they're in the documentary so there's a lot that she doesn't want revealed right <laughs> and she's she, married. she has a lot to lose yeah exactly she, like, she could lose her, her nest egg right there right and she's married and all that yeah to that guy so yeah but that's the last one that's the last so yeah you, you get all these characters and they they all converge. They have some hilarious trips on the road, especially Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, mm-hmm. where they're stopping at one of her former lover's oh house. That's gosh. right, with Larry who's, Miller. Who's, yeah, Larry Miller, the Bur- who plays the Bergens, a hostage I think, negotiator. They, all, they always drop. And then his <laughs> son ends jump. up like on the like some treehouse or whatever, holding their dog. And you have this whole parachute. scene where, yeah, he's basically being the hostage negotiator with his own kid. Yeah, he's like, he's like, come down there. I'll put this thumb right through your eye. Don't yeah. even test me or yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, like, just yeah. screaming at his kid who's just... He's like, I'm going to hit you with a sack of oranges. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to stab you with a fork until yeah. it breaks your skin or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's all because, like, like you said, like he's... You know, he, he's telling Eugene Levy the statistics of people jumping, which oh, shows you how jump. awful they of, always of, jump. A, yeah, of a negotiator he is. Where he's like, you know what? They, they all jump. They it, all there's nothing you can say. They all jump. And then you see, yeah, and then, yeah, trades, and then you see why they jump because he's just taunting them and intimidating <laughs> yeah. them. <laughs> it's like awful reverse psychology. It's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. The whole time he's being just the worst human, he's like, Openly hitting on Eugene, uh, Catherine O'Hara. He's openly hitting on Cookie the in, whole time in front of his own and, wife and, and her, her husband. husband. Yeah, and even uh, Eugene Levy finally gets kind of fed up with it and compliments like uh, his wife. And she, his wife's reaction is really funny. He's like, "Thank you, Jerry." And like, yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah. He's the worst. That that scene, like, I was just like, ah, I hate this guy. He's just the worst person. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, all of these characters, they finally converge. In the, uh, you know, they Mayflower. check in at the hotel, and now they're all here at the Mayflower Dog Show. And that is where this movie really kicks into gear yeah, for me. Because, everyone, that is because when we're all in one are, place now. You are introduced to the hosts of the show. Yeah. Which uh, was Fred Willard, and I'm sorry, what was the other guy's name? The actor? Oh, uh, uh, I can't it, remember the other guy. I can't remember I got either. It. But he's really funny, too. He's, but he, really he's like the... He's he's supposed to be like the play-by-play guy technically for yeah he's the pl- he's the play-by-play and then yeah and then the color is um, color Fred commentator yeah, is, color yeah, is, is uh, Fred Willard Buck Laughlin Buck Laughlin there you go yes. yeah, yeah. and it is because of him that this is my favorite movie to watch of these three because basically from that point it's about the halfway point of the movie or so but from that point on he steals the show he's just constantly putting out zingers mm-hmm. and just making his co-host very uncomfortable and confused as to why is this guy my co-host? He does nothing of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, I was watching this interview with Christopher Guest where he was talking about how important 
his character is to that third act because without it, it's just a dog show. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, and there's some little funny bits that happen, but for the most part, there's not too much improv. There's not funny things going on. I mean, there's some like little funny parts, but for the most part, it's just a straight up dog show. So without him, it wouldn't be funny. It wouldn't be funny. No, it would just be weird because the, the characters are not doing ridiculous things. They're trying to win. They're trying to win. Mm -hmm. So you really needed those, the color commentator and, play by play man who's a dog expert yeah. to have that back and forth and it's just constantly great between Fred Willard's looking at Catherine O'Hara and saying that handle looks vaguely familiar to me or asking which of these which of these ones would you pick to be your wide receiver yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like who can go the farthest the longest or he's like what if we put a little Sherlock Holmes hat on him in a pipe you know what I'm saying you know what I'm saying <laughs> he's yeah. like you know what I mean it's great because there's a he gets an argument with I guess he's the guy who sort of who runs Mayflower yeah, yeah, yeah he's yeah. talking about the uh, the three Christopher Columbus ships and where well, they landed he's like the Mayflower people think that they landed it over here at Plymouth Rock not so they landed in the Caribbean yeah and he's like this, the Nina, just, the yeah it's like a two-minute conversation that you know he means to ask him about the dog show and just <laughs> yeah. they get off on this tangent that's just they're arguing back and forth about the what their story is for Christopher Columbus and who landed here and well because he where. thinks he's confusing the Mayflower with Christopher Columbus's voyage <laughs> which is like so funny and the guy's just trying to like softly correct them on how like yeah. silly he sounds but he's like well let's let's leave it to the production guys they, yeah. they were, <laughs> <laughs> he's so, so funny so Fred Will was only on set for a day yep and he was also told not to do any research on dogs. So you you could see that coming through and it works so well because like you said, the other guy, I was naming his name is uh, Jim Piddick. Yeah, and he's great. That's he's a straight man. He's great. Yeah. yeah. So he's the, he had to do a lot of dog research and people were actually praising him that, you know, he could have been like a real dog show judge because he was actually pretty good at what he was doing. Yeah. So you have the polar opposite of that, Fred Willard, who's just trying to fill in time and like whatever dumb stuff you could say ends up being like genuinely hilarious and some of the most hilarious stuff you'll see in the entire movie. Yeah, and I think like one of, one of my favorite lines is one where it has literally nothing to do with the dog show. It goes, how much do you think I could bench press? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it doesn't, there's no setup for it. There's not like they're talking about bench press or like even weightlifting nope. in any way. He just literally just goes on this tangent about it. And it's so funny. Yeah. Um, it's and so it, funny. And then I'll go back to the hotel thing just, for fun, but uh, there was one little bit of trivia where uh, Ed Bagley Jr. was talking about how a rock band destroyed one of the rooms. Do you think that was Spinal Tap? That was, was the idea, was, right? I think it, it was, was very much exp- uh, made you supposed to make you think it was Spinal Tap. Mm-hmm. It yeah. makes sense. Um, anyway, I just want to slip that in there. Yeah, and I thought that was I thought that was too. And so, like the way that the show goes, or if you've never seen a dog show, basically there's groups that go um, based off a dog breed, and then there's a best in show, hence the name of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so each group is like represented by one of the characters in the movie. There's the toy group, there's the sporting group, so on and so forth. And uh, each one of them, except for the the, the, the neurotic uh, couple, neurotic, yeah, the, uh, the swans, yeah, they, they, because they have they badgered their dog yeah. so hard that he is pretty Just, much unstable. And just has anxiety, yeah. and you can't blame him. There's and, a part and jumps up at the at the judge at the judge, and it's like, oh, that's an immediate There's disqualification. Mm-hmm. Like right before they go on stage, the husband grabs the dog's face and screams, "Like, don't you look at those losers? Look at me! Look at me!" <laughs> yeah, and he's like screaming at the dog and yeah. shaking its face. <laughs> so of course, this dog is to become a neurotic mess. Yeah, because they're neurotic messes, and so but they they freak out because the dog doesn't have the busy bee, which is like a toy bee that they think is the only thing that's stopping it from freaking out. So she has to run, and she, like, destroys her her hotel room looking for the busy bee. And then they, like, tell him, like, well, there's a dog store downstairs, a pet store downstairs. Mm-hmm. And they have a super funny interaction with, yeah, the, with pet the store cashier. Owner. Yeah, where he's like, here it is. Here, no, that's a bear in a bee costume. Yeah. And she's no, like, it was, like, a 
first it was a parrot. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This, this kind of looks like a, a bee. Like it was yeah. a multicolored bear it's, with like yeah, blue, green, and yellow. Colors. Yeah, and they're both like he's being as like calm as he can, and she's actually trying to like keep her stuff together while he's talking. But you could tell she's just fuming about not being able to get a bee. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's very she fuming at the hotel manager in the room. Yeah, like, thanks for nothing. Yeah, 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 yeah. you obviously don't know my dog. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> and then she freaks out and grabs this thing, and he's like, "That's the least like a bee out of all of these that we." <laughs> <laughs> and then he tries. She tries to give it to him, and that that sets him off. That sets off the dog, and that's so that dog gets disqualified. Uh, like Shoeless Joe Jackson, Fred Willard says, yep, out of the majors, exactly. but, but in our will remember forever. <laughs> <laughs> and so it sets up each one of these guys wins their group. Winky wins, um, Hubert wins his his group, and then the Shih Tzu wins as well. I love how they have to go back to the hotel to change before the best in show. Yeah, John Michael Higgins has to, he's like, I have to change. He's like, group schmoop, best yeah. in show coming up next or something. Yeah. Like he's, he's already primed and ready that he's going to win the entire show. So and when good. he comes back, He's so confident. Like, he has this really nice, like, blue and gold suit. That thing is pretty freaking nice looking with the dog. Yeah. And he's, like, parading around with his arms out. Like, he thinks he's got this thing cinched for so, best in show. And he's got, like, a mascara on yeah. and stuff. And he's, like, keeps, <laughs> he keeps batting his eyelashes at the judge. It's yeah. so funny. But there's the part where Rhapsody wins her group is when it's revealed that the Jane Lynch uh, is, is secretly having an affair with uh, the dog's owner. And there's a really funny Fred Willard but where he goes like, that's one happy fella. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so funny. And then, yeah, the, the, the couple grab the Shih Tzu and they show like, oh, Rhapsody has two mommies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. And then, um, so all the, all of the, the winners are decided, you know, that except for the neurotic couple, all the characters you've been following, they're in the running for best in show. And then Catherine O'Hara takes a random spill and basically like twists her knee to where she can't, she can't go out there anymore. And Catherine O'Hara's physical comedy as she gets up and attempts to walk it off is is so funny. funny. It's almost like every step she takes is like her knee dislocating. It buckles and and shifts all around. Exactly. You guys think that, do you guys think that Jane Lynch's character set her up to fall because she's like somebody somebody put that in my way or something like that i didn't consider that but she's that's in possible that, yeah. but there, there didn't seem to be any evidence that she did anything other than fall down you can't see it yeah you, you don't see you don't anything. see anything on the ground or but anything it, like that but she was like right there she was yeah and that's true i, I never and, thought about that I think well, she, but also because of the the expression on jane lynch's face is kind of like ah uh, one more down yeah, like yeah and i think she was threatened by winky i think she was threatened sure. by that dog winky so. was an adorable little terrier he was so yeah, I, I always thought it was like when so, Jane Lynch did so that. So because of that, the handler's gone, and it's best in show. So you you have to go out there. So she has to send her husband out there. Yeah. And we, we haven't need to said. rewind. Yeah, we haven't. We said. need to rewind a little bit during the intro of these characters. They're talking about how they met and they wanted to dance. And, dance, and yeah. he's like, "Oh no, I can't dance." And I wanted to point you know, this out. Yeah. yeah I, he was like, you know me, I have two left feet. And you're thinking like, okay, he means like, you know, just like I have two left feet when it comes to it's dancing. It's an expression for it's dancing. It's an expression, yeah. sure. And then the camera pans down and no, he literally was born with two yeah, left feet. He's got feet. two left shoes So he on. would always go walk in circles and had to loopy. basically do physical therapy to yeah. be able to walk a straight line. They called him Loopy because he'd yeah, walk in little loops. right. <laughs> it's funny because I remember, I'm pretty sure I remember this, that scene in our, one of our Hollywood video screeners yeah. that we'd play. Like the that was playing feet. over and over and like it would make you laugh every single time. It's so funny. It's so funny. So now he is put on the spot that he has to walk his dog out there and do all the little things that he's not used to doing because it's always Catherine O'Hara doing it. 
And you know, obviously all the other competitors are thinking like, oh, well, yeah. so long for that Terrier. <laughs> they're pretty enc- – well, they're also like pretty encouraging, but I think you're right because they know like, well, he's not a threat anymore. Let's encourage him to go out there. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, they're like really – they are really positive. Like, you'll be fine, man. You'll come out with us. You'll be fine. And then I think probably in the back of their head, they're like, all right, cool. We It's really bad. Oh, for us, sure. But- yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's for, also nerve wracking because you know for him he, he's probably never really done it, mm-hmm. so he doesn't he want to screw it up either, right? Yeah. So he's, he always he's, did it exactly. So Fred. for him, it's like unprepared and everything. He he's naturally to be nervous. Uh, Fred Willard, when he comes out, he's like, "Is that is, is my eyes a savior? Is that guy got two left feet?" <laughs> yeah, and then, <laughs> and then like, the color, the, the straight man is like, oh, yeah, "I like, can't believe it, but I think you're right." <laughs> yeah, for the first time ever, <laughs> like he actually made an astute observation, yeah. and then he's like, "Go get him, pal." <laughs> <laughs> So funny, so funny. So the end. Yeah, they they, they all they all do their thing, and then miraculously, it is the terrier Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara. They Winky with their adorable little terrier has one best in show to the shock of everyone else. Yeah, and it was a you know I felt like they were the the ones best suited to win. I think they're the ones you're rooting for throughout the movie. Yeah, I think so too. I like Hubert a lot. I would have said, yeah, it would have been Harlan or, or, you know, or yeah, Hubert or Winky. But they set him up that like, he's probably going to win best in show. Yeah, they they kept talking up how this bloodhound's so young and this bloodhound's got a future in the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was young. Trying to get some some batting time in or playing time in as uh, Fred Willard said. Yes. So uh, so Winky wins, and then the movie then fast forwards about six months where it shows the Flex and their newfound local celebrity. Two, uh, two radio shows. Two radio shows. <laughs> They're recording an album uh, that's called The Captain and the Cookie, called yep. Beg For It. Beg For It. With their hit song, Bow Wow. Bow yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. It just sounds like a, an awful lullaby. It's just so poor. Yeah. And then the uh, the music producer recognizes Cookie. <laughs> yeah. He's like, of course he does. Cookie? <laughs> yeah, I'm not wearing underwear. Yeah. <laughs> the only time I did it on a roller coaster. Yeah, it's like yeah. the one and only time. Poor Eugene is just stuck there, just like being absolutely embarrassed. And yeah, and Cookie's kind of into it. She's like, oh yeah. Yeah, she, she, uh, that's what I mean. It's like anytime Bunch. she encounters one of these guys, she starts to get those fond memories. Like she's almost reminiscing uh-huh. in front of Eugene Levy. Yeah. And he's just like, he doesn't know how to act. That was my yeah. past. You're yeah. my future. Who's yeah. My future? <laughs> like she has to reassure him every time. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they fast forward and then... Uh, uh, Jane Lynch and Jennifer Coolidge have started a magazine called American Bitch. It's like the premier lesbian dog magazine. Yeah, it is great. <laughs> Which is either going to be absolutely a bomb or wildly successful. It's yeah. probably going to be successful. And like they're on, the, they were on their third issue, and they look really happy together. <laughs> like you know, and like yeah, they seem to be really happy together. So that was nice to see. Yeah, like I said the most healthy relationships, other than like, is like their relationship and and the other and gay the couple. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, Harlan, he's he's so earlier in the movie we didn't talk about, it, but he has like a ventriloquist. He's trying to try. <laughs> <Shuggy. laughs> yeah, he's got. He, so he's he's trying to practice his ventriloquism, and uh, he's got a mirror in from. So he's trying to practice words without his his, his mouth moving mm. or his mouth moving. And at the end, he just sort of. It seems like he kind of gives up on being a you know best in show and pursues this ventriloquism. He's terrible. Yeah, he has like this awful lasso show on stage, yeah. <laughs> like knocking down sets, yeah. sets and everything. He's not getting like the cactus. He's got a lasso so that he's not even funny. jumping through. Yeah. Like he's, he's, <laughs> he's spinning, spinning in front it. of him, <laughs> tapping his feet. <laughs> so funny! It's so funny. And then uh, the 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 gay couple uh, with um, what was their names here? Jeez. Well, there's Stefan. The Donlins, yes, yeah. Stefan Vanderhoof and Scott Donlin. Yeah, they're great. They do uh, Tyrone and Miss Agnes. The Shih Tzus have a, a movie-themed calendar. They have one of my favorite lines where he's like, "What?" And he's like, well, "We could, we could donate to like Shih Tzu Rescue," and he's like, "What Shih Tzu is out in the street like with a co- oh, old coat on?" Oh, for the poor. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Which titsus need rescuing it? <laughs> I, I loved that uh, movie calendar thing because so you know cute. they have it covers all the the classics like yeah. Casablanca, the Gone with the Wind. Yeah, but there was the what was that other movie? That there was, was two: Hunchback and Notre Dame. Hunchback oh, no, and Notre Dame no, 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 and McMillan and Wife. Oh, McMillan and Wife. <laughs> there yeah, we go. McMillan and yeah. Wife. I was like, Random. that is. Not a classic. Yeah. Like the little wife. It's so but funny. But for them. Yeah. I it's love iconic. it. And they're always like, they're like us. They're always like quoting movies and mm-hmm. like talking about scenes and movies throughout the, throughout the movie too, which is really funny. But it's yeah. really hilarious. And the dogs are dressed up in these outfits. It's and so These cute. little organ, yeah, yeah, these sets. It's really great. It's they're like, great. That's the perfect s- way for them to end. Yeah. And they're so fun. And then it, I believe it closes with the with neurotic the couple. They've now, they had to get rid of. Uh, they traded away dog. Beatrice. Yeah, because she was the problem. She was the problem, and now they have another dog. <laughs> His name is Kipper. Kipper. I forgot. I forgot what breed he was. He's able to watch them have sex. Yeah, he, lo- he loves it. Yeah. He seems yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I believe it ends with him like he's humping, humping dry, like a therapist's leg or something. Yeah, <laughs> which like they're kind of getting what they is. I do love that it was the dog who was the problem, even though they clearly exactly. were the problem. They, yeah. They're like the dog didn't win. The dog went on the judge. Like it's the dog who's the problem. We're gonna get rid of it. Like we're just awful. Yeah, these people are Poor awful. Like, they would get rid of a dog because they didn't win and like they want to have a dog that won't mind I just hope that sex. dog went to a family that's going to love it for the rest it of its life because it just needs that it, it, just needs it, it was the goodest boy yeah poor dog yeah, yeah. Uh, but but that's the whole movie. Uh, again, another fantastic movie all the way through. Something I could watch all over again. It's probably my favorite of these three. Um, Spinal Tap is funnier at times, but I think the overall story and like acting, like you know, the improv for some of these things and uh, movie quality is probably this one. It my is. Favorite. Yeah, I I think so as well. I do think that Spinal Tap has like maybe one or two scenes that are probably the funniest scenes. And maybe maybe a mighty wind has my favorite song, and you know, and so on and so forth. But this movie, from beginning to end, it's just so well cast. It is, and they're, they're all on top of their game in this movie. Yeah, I think of the three, I would say this is probably the easiest to get into. Just jump in because it's you know it's a topic anyone can get into. It's dogs. <laughs> yeah, people love dogs, right? And I think you know, for me, like I love this is Smile Tap more, but I'd say this one is probably has more of the actual laughs because Smile Tap's like. Yeah. You're laughing more at the situations and how dumb they could be and oblivious. This is just genuinely hilarious because these are like quirky people that you could have as friends realistically. You might know some people similarly, mm-hmm. but they're freaking hilarious in everything they're doing and saying. And the improv is so funny that you you almost don't think it's improv, but then you realize that it is. Like it's all improv from these guys. It's so funny. Yeah, I would – and that, that's something – I guess we don't really talk about too much across all these movies is that the chemistry between the cast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a common theme. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a common thread that it's all across and it works incredibly well. Like I, I think some movies wish they could have this kind of chemistry between everybody. Yeah, so one thing that will tie all these movies together before we move on to the next one is that when Christopher Guest, so Christopher Guest and Eugene Levy wrote this one. They also wrote Waiting for Guffman and they wrote the next one we're going to talk about. But when they do that, um, they get together for a lo- almost six months, and they don't write. They write scenes and like Kinda basically beats. The movie, yeah, but but what they're mostly writing is the characters' backstories because what Christopher Guest said is that you need to have a really rich character backstory because you need to be able to pull information when people ask questions that's authentic to your character, and that's what I think also makes these scenes work so well. Is that the improv is great, but it's because it's drawing from. The real character that this yeah, like they have a lead to go on because <clears throat> they have such a rich backstory. So it does take as long as a regular movie script, but it's all making these backstories for each character and where they come from, so they can pull it from there. Yeah, and this one, it's it's another short movie. I think it's barely an hour and a half. Yep. So it's again, it's easy to get into. Definitely Th- worth doesn't watching. Doesn't overstay its welcome. Not at None all. It's just the right do. length. I think it's the most financially successful of all, all these in the box office. Um, compared uh, like comparatively, I know I that think so as well. Yeah, I mean, I know that the next one we're gonna talk about had some award 
Uh, but so did this. This uh, one, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah this one, uh, as a result of this, they actually started a dog show. Oh, yeah. uh, I forgot what it was called. I uh, have it on here somewhere. Thanksgiving, right? Oh, the um, National Dog Show. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it airs on Thanksgiving on NBC. It started in 2002, and it was heavily influenced this by movie. this movie, the success mm-hmm. of this movie. So that's pretty funny on its own, because for me, I never watched dog shows before this. I just know when I was a kid, I'd get mad because it would be in place of Monday Night Raw. <laughs> yeah, the West right? I think that's the only re- the relevance of dog shows to us, really. So it's pretty crazy and funny that this movie inspired a full-on <laughs> dog show that's that's still presented today, apparently. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So again, if you if you haven't seen this, watch it. It's on streaming everywhere. It's it's worth watching, no matter yeah, no matter. Comedy what. lovers, dog lovers. It, this is the movie for Especially you. Especially dog lovers. Yeah. And with that, we'll get our two. Or excuse me, we'll get to our final movie. Let's start right out. Hey, what happened? As you know, back in 1970, I started on a series called What Happened. And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that and a lot of other catchphrases. I got a real red wagon. <laughs> and uh, I can't do my work. And I believe I was the first one to use the phrase, I don't think so. But it only lasted a year. And that's good because that's how you establish a cult. All right, fellas, we're, uh, we're here at our final movie for the day. It's the third movie in our series. It's uh, the 2003 release, A Mighty Wind, also directed by Christopher Guest, written by Guest, and Eugene Levy. Stars, a lot, again, a lot of the same cast we saw in the last two movies with Catherine O'Hara, Eugene Levy, Harry Shearer's back in He's this back. one. Mm-hmm. He's back. Uh, Jane Lynch is here again, John Michael Higgins, Parker Posey. Uh, Fred Willard, which we'll dive into probably from most of this, I would say. He's, so, he's so good in this, again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so this movie originates with uh, The Folkman, which was an SNL skit that I didn't know about at all. It's until so I think you, you really just told me that yeah. I read about it. Yeah. It's so, I had never, I'd seen that sketch like a while ago, but I completely forgot about it. And then I saw it recently and I was like, oh, I gotta send this to the guys. It's so funny. Because they, so kind of the origination is on SNL, but then also when they were doing the Spinal Tap um, concerts, they would open for Spinal Tap as the Folksman. Oh, that's freaking And they cool. would do, yeah, so they would open for Spinal and Like, could you imagine going to a Spinal Tap show and then these guys come out? Yeah, they're and, the like, opener. <laughs> yeah, so they would open for each other. At, for, well, and for people who don't know, the Folksman is made up by the same bandmates as the Spinal Tap. So the same, same guys. And it's really funny. So that's how it originated was that yeah yeah so the, the whole the whole premise of this movie is that the uh a fictional music excuse me fictional folk music producer irving steinblum passed away and his children are trying to organize a memorial concert with uh three most famous folk acts in this world which is the folksmen the new main street singers and then probably the really the star of the movie uh mitch and mickey which are again eugene levy and Catherine o'hara yeah and it kind of takes place in or not takes place but it takes uh, a lot from the folk music of the early 60s through the like up until the 70s the ones that you know the, that was a really big popular genre of music at that time and it kind of takes those acts and how famous they were but it's one of those genres that really fell off after the 60s and 70s and so some of them are real famous still just from that notoriety back then some of them have really fallen off to the point where you don't even think about them anymore and then some of them are just like holding on to their fame at all costs basically. yeah yeah uh where were you guys when you first saw this because for me i'd seen it like uh, i think i saw it like on dvd like must have been a decade and a half ago and that's the only time I really saw it until like a week ago. So I have like, it, of the three, this is the one I'm least familiar with. It might have been a Hollywood video take home movie for me. Mm-hmm. I might have taken, taken it home and watched it. I know it was around that time that I first saw it. 
We're going to shout out our favorite movie theater. I saw this at the Osio. Oh, the Osio. Mm-hmm. I love that theater. Saw this at, like I said, I was, a, I was a drama nerd growing up in high school. And like so Christopher Guest movies were really the thing to do as a comedies would go. So we all went as a group to go see this when it came out in 2003. Yeah, so this one, it's uh, for me, it's I'm not into folk music, but the music in here is really freaking good yeah, and good uh we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more maybe we'll, we'll start with it uh a kiss at the end of the rainbow which is the sort of the eponymous that, that song is, here yeah that's the um basically the climax of the movie and it is and the catalyst really, yeah, it starts that way too yeah that, that's true but i mean like the full performance of it is yeah. the climax of the movie and i would say that's that might be my favorite scene in all of these it's movies. a great it's it's probably the most poignant scene i would say For it's sure. definitely wholesome and yeah, um yeah and my first memory of that actually is seeing eugene levy and Catherine o'hara perform it at the oscars yeah and oh was, i didn't know they did and it performance was just there. as good wow like it really yeah you really kind of get a little bit choked up watching it as they're in character doing doing this and it was really good it's an incredible song it was uh, it was actually written by michael mckeon and uh his and his wife, wife annette o'toole yep. Which ties in perfectly with the idea of the of the of the song and the movie, right? And and like you said, Randy, it was also nominated for uh, best original song, which is pretty incredible that mm-hmm. a mockumentary song of this caliber got. Was know, it nominated. the same year that uh, "Lose Yourself" won? It might have been because it was '03 when it released. Yeah, I think it so was. So it could have been, which is pretty interesting. I, I Eminem, that Eminem, was... and yeah, and fo- folk <laughs> and rap. I don't know if I put those together for an right? Oscar win. Yeah, yeah. And that so they kind of have that that. Um, duo genre of the folk music of the 60s that kind of like um uh, you know uh, what's their name lovebird duets yeah kind of things yeah then you gotta have the folksmen who are kind of the traditionalist folk music like that kind of traditional sound and they have like really funny songs that don't make any sense like wandering so wandering is like a very folky like up tempo but it's literally just about a guy who's never done anything (laughs) like and it just literally just talks about how he's literally never done anything in his life (laughs) that band is like the the folk band of spinal tap like the folk version of spinal tap (laughs) yeah well and they're like the most authentic of well i'd say mitch and mickey are really really authentic too but like they're they're like a straight up band they're Mm -hmm. you know and they um they have a lot of songs that are uh, history, historiography, like there was this really funny too. They have these like really historical songs that go off the deep end and stuff that are really funny. Yeah, like the was it the the Sands of Janquinto or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Spanish conquista, yeah, something like that. It's about the Spanish was. Civil War of the late, uh, yeah. the early 1900s. It was like so funny. And this, I'd say, this movie is it's it's unique of the three where it has a you know a thread going back to, to the past, like Randy said with uh, with with Mitch and Mickey. Is that what their names are? Yeah, Mitch and Mickey. Mitch and Mickey, the duet. So you know th- their relationship kind of fell apart. You know they're at the peak of their popularity, and then you know much like artists do in some duets, they they tend to fall apart, go on their own lives. So Eugene Levy is pretty much depressed this entire movie. Mitch's uh, albums are so funny. A Cry for Help, where he's in a straitjacket. And then I can't remember what the other one's called, but I think it's like Digging Your Grave. And he's like literally digging his own grave. <laughs> he takes a pretty dark turn. Yeah, he takes this. a real dark. And it kind of looks like he may have gotten into like heavy drugs too. Well, yeah, just... or, or he was just so thoroughly traumatized that he basically can't even string together coherent sentences yeah. without tremendous amounts of effort like yeah he's his just, delivery in this is so funny he basically or just, sad really depending on how you look at it his brain's basically just been burnt to a crisp at this point either from just br- depression or maybe like i said i think maybe he got into some psychedelic like a lot of the 60s people did and that could have burned his brain a little bit too but he just, he's just a mess <laughs> yeah he's got like it's really weird like it's i've never seen eugene levy like this because usually he's like upbeat and everything in this movie like he's just he's got like a quiet voice he's kind of meek and like you could tell there's hurt behind him which is just kind of hard to watch you almost empathize with him because of it and it almost seems like he's he's hurting 
getting words out. Like the way he's his cadence and the way he talks, it seems like it's taking all of his effort just to get words out of his mouth. It's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like he has to take a breath, like in in the middle mm-hmm. of a sentence, and yeah. <laughs> Uh, any any favorite scenes from this one, fellas? Because I have a one of my favorites is the uh, the introduction of the boners, yeah. <laughs> the boner couple. So <laughs> yeah, Jane so Lynch. so um, kind of setting it up uh, before you go over the scenes, just as an FYI, it's basically the way it starts is that there's another band called the New Main the Main Street Singers that were like very famous. They were an uh, no an, a Nuftet. A nuftet, which is a nuftet nine. nine. Yeah, yes. which is I nine, didn't know that was a word. Which is one above an octet. Yeah. He just wanted a fuller sound. So um, I don't remember what all those guys' names were, but they were kind of a gigantic folk band uh, with the Clapper family and those guys together. And then they all broke up. Uh, and one of them went to San Francisco where they met uh, those the, the Boner family. <laughs> <laughs> where uh what's the name of uh oh terry terry where he talks about how the basically what happened was that he was abused as a child he was like locked in a basement and the main street singers was like one of the only records he'd have so he basically became obsessed with them because they were his only that's all he had all he had in his life because he'd be locked he he had the best line where he said i'd be locked in i'd be sent to bed with nothing but dessert <laughs> 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 and he like made everybody from the new Main Street singers and he became a part of the band. So you could tell his obsession was to be in this band. Mm. Yeah, his wife, uh, she's done some poor movies, we'll say. Yeah. They call them mature Adult, movies. Yeah. Uh, one of the ones that made me laugh was Not So Tiny Tim. Because she's just like firing these off like they're nothing. Like it's, it's just so, in her mental catalog. Yeah, she's like, well, I played the ukulele in a, in a film. Yeah. <laughs> And again, it's Jane Lynch, and she's freaking hilarious in this movie, too. She is so funny. And uh, another really, yeah, so not so tiny Tim, uh, but another really funny part with them is when they talk about their religion, that they're part they're part of a wink, uh, witches in nature's colors. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. And uh, they go over, like, what it is. And my fa- I don't I can't say word for word, but it's so funny when, um, when John Michael Higgins is talking about, like, their religion and what it's based off of and it's absolute insanity and he's just like uh and you would get that you know you would make that assumption walking down the street <laughs> he's like yeah. we're not we're not some like crazy you know cults <laughs> <laughs> he's so funny yeah yeah this uh i would say this whole movie again it's another short one it's like barely an hour and a half and it flies by but this one is probably the tightest of the three, I would say, just in terms of like how everything is happening mm-hmm. and I'll introduce, excuse me, how all the characters are being kind of bounced back between scenes. Because then we're also introduced to uh, Jennifer Coolidge, who uh, I think her name's Amber Cole. Yeah, and she is like just Jennifer Coolidge plays like the dumbest character of dumb characters in this movie, like even she's dumber so than Best in Show. She's freaking hilarious. She's a PR uh, exec with uh, I can't remember what his name is, but he played the. The jerk, uh, cookies like friend jerk in, in Best in Show. Yeah, and they both don't care about folk music at all. And like, yeah, but she's so funny. She's, she's really funny. like one of her, one of my favorite lines from her is, uh, you know, if they didn't have a model train, they wouldn't have gotten an idea for big trains. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> she says, "Thank God for model trains." Yeah. <laughs> she's so funny. And go we, ahead. I was gonna say we forgot. Uh, we got to introduce Fred Miller. Of course now. we do. Just like yeah, all, he's just my like favorite part of the movies. movies. As soon as he shows up, you what have a joy. So. What happens with, and I'll let you guys talk about Fred Wilmer, but kind of what, what sets him up is that, so there were this old group, the Main Street Singers, who broke up, and then the Boner family gets together with, I can't remember who the guy, the, one of the original guys from the Main Street Singers, and he basically convinces them with the help of Fred Willard's character to reform the band and call them the new Main Street Singers. 
And there's a really funny bit where they're practicing the new Main Street Singers, and they're they're having that weird song, the "Sail Away, Sail Away," whatever. And the one guy who's playing the guitar, he's like, uh, "Can I just talk to you?" And he's like, "What? What? What is it?" He's like, "Well, uh, is it the uniform?" He's like, "Yeah, uh, I don't know. I've just been wearing it for like months now." And he's like, "Well, you know, I don't think you're you'll, you'll be ready, and one one day you'll be able to wear your civvies." And like, he's it, like, "But you got to wear the uniform." It's right almost now. like a weird cult. Yeah. The way. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's don't like, worry about it. You didn't sharp that ninth, and I really. Or whatever, like, I want you to stay, hit that six, and then like, and then we'll talk about getting you in your civvies. Yeah. So that was really, yeah. It is. They basically turned the new Main Street Singers into this like weird cult with Parker Posey, who is in it, who's one of the Main Street Singers' original like daughters, like one of the original Main Street Singers' daughters, and she was like on the streets, which is like really sad. But the new Main Street Singers saved her. <laughs> yeah, which is it, really funny. It's it does have those religious cult undertones for sure. But they hook up with Fred Willard, and Randy, you want to talk about Fred Willard in this? Ah, uh, just. What, what was his name on in this one? Uh, uh, he was a former child but, yeah, star. Yeah, he was a former child star. And his name was not, Mike LaFontaine. Yeah, LaFontaine. W- yeah. Was he was it a child star or was he just like a young adult? No, he was oh, a child star. He was he yeah. was the main. He is and he had the catchphrase. Because I thought it was yeah. in the seventies, and Fred Willard in the seventies would not have been a child. Well, yeah, but but it doesn't matter. Yeah, in the movie, remember he said nineteen seventy. Yeah, <laughs> 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 that was a child star, but that's not the point. He was child teen star. He wasn't an adult. We'll say. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll discuss that later privately. We'll Google it. <laughs> Probably with a lot of yelling. I'm sure he definitely was a kid star. <laughs> but off the cuff so bonus episode. He's kind of like a almost like a promoter. Like he's in the 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 whole show business aspect. And like I said, he was a former star on his show, and he had the catchphrase of "Hey, what happened?" So <laughs> did you guys see the the newspaper clip when he talks about that? And it says, uh, "Camera, oh, hey, what happened? Is disc uh, like is uh, shut down due to complete lack of interest?" <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then they introduced they had to introduce other catchphrases like "I don't think so." Yeah. And, I got a real red wagon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so the scene is literally him just. Droning on and ultimately working in all of these little Kill. catchphrases, mm-hmm. and they kind of just like cut in the middle of it after the last. I don't think so. Can we uh, <laughs> set up how he looks too? Oh yeah, I, I want to point that out. out. He's got frosted tips. He's got <laughs> spiked out frosted tips, like a twenty-year-old in two thousand three, and like a Tommy Bahama Hawaiian shirt. And or he's something. tan. Like you just look, you just tell he's trying to look as young as possible, <laughs> even though he's like fifty. Yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny, and he gets together with the. New Main Street Singers, and he says that I we can get you on some Starlight cruise ships. He's like, except for when uh, was like dysentery like broke out on a couple of them. He's like, you don't want to, you don't want to have dysentery break out of your cruise ship. And he and he's like, a, yeah, he's like a, a hack is like the best way to describe it. Just a total hack. He's so funny. He reminds of all those. Uh, you would see them like you know satirized in like Married with Children or all those other old shows where it's like they have someone from like the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, like the old child star or teenage star, and like now they're just trying to recapture whatever. Just hold they can. on to that little yeah, bit that, of stardom. That, whatever's left of it, mm-hmm. and like yeah, and Fred Willard like still the show. Be because he purposely nails that because like he's overly confident like no one remember this show from like 30 40 years ago at all but he's still trying to stay relevant he has these jokes that never land and they're (laughs) always hilarious because they never land like when he's getting the key to the city for folk music and he's just like uh where's the Where's the deputy or the deputy mayor? Where's the regular mayor? He's like, I you shot the mayor, but you did not shoot the deputy. <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's so That's stupid. Right. And then the, the probably the last character that really is really funny in this is 
the one who's basically trying to organize this. Oh, Steinblum's son, uh, Jonathan Steinblum. Yeah, yes. he's really funny. He, he was also in Final Tap and Best in Show. Yeah, he was a regular. He was one of like the NBC execs in Seinfeld, I believe. Yeah, and he was. Uh, he has severe OCD in the movie, which causes him to just do the, the most hilarious things. Like he's mm-hmm. he's super anxious and he has crazy OCD, and he's so funny. Yeah, like he's looking at the. They have like this banjo statue thing, and he's like he's he's losing his mind about the angle of that's being shot at. Like, does it look real enough? And I love when the mic stands come out and he's like did they have Mike Mike what do you call those tops yeah (laughs) yes he's like well we really want them so I hope that you get them we'll have them don't worry it's like well what about this flower I mean it's it's coming out shooting like yeah yeah. I feel like somebody's gonna go by and he's gonna poke them in the eye it's a real hazard he's nitpicking over every little thing it's ridiculous like literally freaking out insane until until the guy basically slaps him him on the back of the head like knock it off a little nugget to that is that was all improv obviously because the whole movie's improv and it was one of the only scenes where everybody laughed immediately when he did that. So that's why when you see it, it cuts like literally the oh. second after is because the camera crew is laughing their asses off. Everybody behind, like all the actors started laughing because it's such a ridiculous thing. And it was so genuine because you're like, this guy is just over and over again. Tell This guy is like, we do this every day. This is, you know, this is nothing new to us. We know how to do this. We do this all the time. And he's asking the most like mundane. He's like, I don't have... I don't have time to teach you stagecraft 101 and that, yeah, that, that blow up, it was super genuine. So, it was exactly. so that's, that's, that's the word I would use. It's genuine is that it doesn't look like he's doing a bit like in a lot of things, like maybe mm-hmm. it's final tab best in show. You can tell when they're just kind of in the middle of a bit, he looks genuinely concerned. Like, like this, this is legitimate acting that he is doing right yeah. now. Like I'm going to, I'm going to, the, the production is going to slow down because this guy's asking me every question under the sun about everything we're doing. Yeah. He wants everything to be flawless for this model show. When, when they have, perfect. When they have like the actual light post and, the banjo behind it that that's 3d he's like can you have a 3d yeah. image next to a real thing with that <laughs> so funny. see how would that look like he's trying to like posture himself at a certain yeah. angle like, to get the visual <laughs> it's so funny that is so funny uh so they they get to they they put on the show from pbs it's called pbn but it's basically a pbs kind of thing yeah it's public access yeah. almost. and he's like your your audience is perfect for us and he's like well actually skew a little younger well if you could bring them in you know we'll take the little younger the younger audience too but they all get there and the the folksmen kind of have a rival i wouldn't say rubber they, they don't like the new main street singers they, yeah, think they just think they're a cast crab type of group exactly mm-hmm. and they're not authentic they're not true folk they're you know they're yeah they're he said they're almost like the posers yeah they're posers so they don't like them and basically the two most famous songs that the folksmen have are um Ida Joe uh yeah Ida Joe's and or Old Joe's Place sorry Old Old Joe's Joe's Place Place. and Wandering those are their two I mean they have other ones but those are their two most favorite famous hits and so the, the movie starts, they introduce each other. First, Jonathan Steinblum comes out and tells everybody, like, don't don't go close to the flowers because you may get entangled in them. Or, <laughs> and everybody's laughing because they think that he's joking, but yeah. he's super serious about it. And then he introduced the new Main Street singers, and they open with Wandering, which is a big taboo. Like, you can't do yeah, another still another band, another band's music. It's one thing to cover a band who isn't there, but it's really unprofessional to cover a song from a band that is on the bill. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the folks have to come out and kind of figure out what to do because they're, they're, they're like, we can't do wandering. And then, well, it's funny because one of them says, what well, let's open with wandering. And he's like, they just, he's like, did you hear that? They're butchering it right now. <laughs> and then, so they decide to do old Joe's place. They say, let's give them the, the, the icing. He's like, well, what about what's left? The cake? 
like, but I like icing more than cake or whatever. And then they, so they do Old Joe's Place to start with, which is a great, it's a great little folky song. Yeah, definitely. Like, and it's just like a silly folky just song. Look for the broken neon sign that says E A O's. There's a little funny bit real quick because I don't want to take too much time, but there's a little funny bit where they're talking about the albums that they make and like how they got on a really old label, like the folk tone label, where the albums that they had, the vinyls didn't have holes in them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so they would, he's like, it would teeter crazily on the <laughs> He's like, but you punch a hole in it, you're going to have a good time. They're quality records. <laughs> but so they, they decide to go out and do Old Joe's Place and it kills. They do a great job. And they end up doing a couple more songs. They do... Um, a song about like farm, like a barnyard. Oh, barnyard jamboree, which is like ridiculous, and it's all audience involvement. And then they're about to go off stage, and Mitch is nowhere to be found. Mitch yeah, so is left. We, we didn't really talk about it, but we, we we alluded to how Mitch has a lot of these issues, anxiety, it was the anxiety, and being ne- with, with Nikki again because he loved a lot of feelings her. About they, her. They were yeah. deeply in love, and. And they had that famous kiss during their song that everybody remembers. That was like so. Their there was like, how are yeah. they going to approach this? And Mickey had moved on at she that had, point. She, she married a, a new guy, and he's really funny, Crab. And he has the model trains, and he's like the town of Crab. <laughs> and it's Crabton actually. Yeah, was he like a? A urinologist. Yeah, for bladder control. Bring it up during yeah. the during dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and he's like it's a billion so dollar industry. So you see them; they're, they're rehearsing together, like they're gonna do it. But he's obviously still very concerned. The 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 son, the organizer, the, the OCD one, he comes to Constantly. the hotel room to to talk with him, basically begging him, like, "Come on, my dad, you were my dad's favorite. You 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 gotta be here." <laughs> yep. And but there's this mystery: is he gonna show up or not? And he's there, but then he just takes off at one point, mm-hmm. and nobody knows where he is. And so uh, Mickey and a couple other people go to look for him. And but while that's happening. John John goes out up to the stage and tells the the um, folksmen that they got to stretch, and so they start telling this like really intricate history of the Spanish Civil War, which is like really funny. <laughs> it like goes on for a really long time while they're looking for him, and it's all setting up for the song they're gonna play about uh, the ghost of Jacinto or something like that is what it's called. And literally, they're about to play it, and then Mitch and Mickey come back. Mitch. Brings her a rose. Yeah, he went, to, her, he he went to get he a went rose. To go get a rose. A rose, a beautiful rose for her. And uh, right, like they're literally about to play, and then uh, Jonathan like tells them to go, and they're like, "Good night, everyone," and takes off. And then Mitch and Mickey come out, and they do "Kiss at the End of the Rainbow." Um, and everybody starts hearing it, and like the the folksmen are like, "Oh, I remember this song." You think they're gonna do the kiss like they usually do? Yeah, you can see that they ask like, "Well, how are they gonna handle that?" Yeah, and then they all instinctively get up. Yeah, they, they have see. to go see this. Uh-huh. Same with the new folksmen. Like they're like, "Oh, this is it. This is the song. This yeah. is the main so event." They the all have to go out there, and they are watching. They have like genuine, deep admiration for what's happening, and and it, that's what makes this scene so good to me. Is that exactly clearly. This particular moment in time meant so much to all of these people. Well, they they even allude to that, and that the they say like the the history of that kiss is like a, a milestone of folk music. So if you're in the scene, it would be a thing that you'd want to see. It would yeah. be like the you know so you'd want to witness you want to witness it. And so they sing the song. It is a beautiful song. It's really good. And I know yeah, it's it's just a great. Yeah, I'm song. not a folk fan at all, but that is a really good it is. Folk I really song. liked it, especially it's, for the movie. Like, and it's just a song. Like even if I didn't know that was from a funny comedy, it's a great just a normal movie or new, normal song. Like if it was on the radio, it could it could do well because that's I'm not now, but during the folk time. Mm-hmm. But um, so they sing the song, and at the middle part of it. There's a, a 
pause where they're supposed to kiss. And they pause for a couple of seconds. They kind of look at each other like, what are we going to do? And then uh, they go in. They have this really beautiful kiss together. And they finish the song. And everybody's standing ovation. Everybody loves it. Um, beautiful. You think it's you know just like every Christopher Guest movie, not the end. No, but it is the beautiful. Like, it's it's part of the movie. Yeah, I think this... everyone's happy because you really see their their the the characters, the inner turmoil. You also get the sense of like the actual love between Eugene Levy yep. and Catherine. O'Hara. Exactly, really I think that's what makes it work. Like they scene. love yeah. each other, and it's even and it's great because it's like yeah, we're gonna for a second we're gonna have that love you know, that we always had that, that we've always had for each other, that love is going to rekindle for that second. And then they, what you find out is that, um, they ultimately that didn't rekindle. And it's weird because Mickey thinks that she let him on and that she, and he, he sounds like he's doing way better than he's in denial. They're both in denial. Yeah. Like it did mean something to her. Oh yeah. It meant something to him. But I think, and each of them is in denial about it. I think Mitch kind of feels a little bit more like he can move on with his life, you know? Like, okay, it did mean something. It did mean, I can move on now. Maybe he was always wondering if that relationship was at what he thought it was. Yeah. And um, so for him, he does seem like, yeah, you're right. He's in denial. He still loves her. But he definitely seems a little more well-adjusted to it, where he's he's accepted the fact that, like, yes, I do. He's not crippled any longer. Mm -hmm. It's cathartic. He has, like, a really funny bit about, like, how he talks about, like, what's going to happen next in his life. And it goes off in this crazy tangent (laughs) that I can't even remember. It's so funny. He goes in, he's like a poacher writer or something, I think, after the movie, right? And yeah, he was well, able to start writing again. Yeah. yeah, and well, and he was, yeah, and he he had the first time they met Mitch and Mickey was uh, Mickey was doing a song with her sisters on stage, and there was this heckler, and then Mitch tried to like stop him, and uh, he got like beat up to the point where like every bone in his body was broken, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how they met was from him trying to defend her honor, and yeah, so um, great movie. Yeah, at the end of the end of the performance, they're all joined on stage. The 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 folksmen, mm-hmm. the new Main Street singers, new Main Street singers, they all join together and they sing the the title song of yeah, the movie, Mighty, Mighty Wind. Wind, and it's a really good performance. Like mm-hmm. it's it's really good. It's not as good as Kiss as Kiss Over the Rainbow, or, yeah, but it is a solid scene. And again, just like Best in Show, it has that ending where you just like it's a really feel good ending. Yep, and, and then, then it does it. the six months later. And I'm not gonna lie, I do think that in this one and in Best in Show, that is probably my least favorite this thing. one especially ends really with, awkward with one of the ones where i'm like uh this is a swing and a miss christopher guess you know? yeah like, this is so we'll it, go it's, it's, a, it's, such a, it's just such a change in tone from how it ended yeah it so is. It, it is mitch and mickey they you, they didn't re- reconcile and that's said we kind of talked about that so we'll move on from there the new main street singers are still doing their thing and and that that's fine um, no, uh, they got they're, they're in a oh, show. Fred Willard got a pitch to show where they're oh, all yeah. Supreme yeah. Court justices. Supreme, yeah, yeah, yeah. Supreme folk, Supreme folk, <laughs> where they're Supreme Court justices by day and they go home <laughs> to the same house at night. And that was so funny. Yeah. That was really funny. Um, and then you find out that the folksmen are back together because they weren't together before this reunion. They yeah. had broken up. They're back together. They're going to play music together, and it kind of pans out to show that um, Harry Shearer's character who. They do a really bad job of setting this up, and I think that's why one quick little hint that that doesn't even make sense, and that's why I think it's so like um, it just really. It's just out of left field, I think. So, so if you haven't seen it, 
they they turn they go over to him and he is dressed like a woman. He is now transitioning to be a woman. Yeah, and, and it just feels so out of left field. The only setup they had was that he he takes care of his skin. Yes, and that was it. And it, it seemed almost offensive. Like uh, it's really weird. It's not it doesn't something make sense. they would do now. When I was a kid, I didn't really think too much of it. But now that I'm an adult and I actually have these you know sense of right and wrong and things like that, and like it just seemed like such a miss and such a like a tone deaf way to end where you're like, there's no setup for well, this. There's it's almost no... like a joke, but there's no punchline. They thought it'd well, be that's kind the of punch, funny, that right? That is the punchline. Yeah, but if you're making fun of a marginalized group like that is your punchline. Like I'm that's not what I mean. Yeah. yeah like, I'm not a huge fan of the it. The intent you know? for that with punchline. It's like, it's not, there's nothing really funny about it. No, you know? like, it just it, is that thing. And yeah. Like, that's your joke. It's really weird. I don't really want to be a part of it. Granted, it was 20 years ago when, you know, things were, were less sensitive, right? Yeah. Like things were just kind of the wild west. I would, it was really weird. That, that part probably would not be in the movie anymore so if it was made today. I think that the codas in general be different. Now the codas for both this and best in show kind of made me question Christopher guest. Like, does he hate these characters? Like it may, it seemed like he crafted well, these characters with such love and then he kind of treats them really bad. I, in I the, almost the think codas. he's trying to hit a formula, right? Like, is it's like, I think you're right. Like, I think that the, the end and the coda for Mighty Wind shouldn't have existed. I think it should just end it with the performance yeah. and be done. You know, I don't need to know I, what I, happens yeah. six months later because I think that ending is fantastic for what it is because it makes it feel like a complete movie. If it ended at the kiss, that yeah. would have been the it best. Been oh, no, no, the, 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 the performance. The yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah at the uh, yeah, Mighty Wind, if it ended right there, why wouldn't it? It just seems like the perfect Well, that's yeah. just like it. Best in Show could have ended when, with you know, winning, Eugene yeah. Levy's holding up Winky yeah. and all that. Yeah, but at least in that context, like it makes sense because it's like they have their newfound celebrity you know attention yeah. stuff like that because it's like it, it's a little bit it fits more with best in show <clears throat> and spinal tap had it with the post credits where it's like the credits are scrolling you're just seeing them yeah. riff off of things but this it just didn't feel like it was necessary it just seemed like they had to do it because that's what christopher guest does exactly exactly like yeah he, he has his formula yeah, yeah and i i did not like it i did not like it at all yeah not it's not yeah. awful it's just it does it just doesn't make any sense when you when you have that grave an ending. Yeah. That being said, it does not ruin the movie. Not no, at all. Not, not, not at all. It's great. It's and it's, it's just such... like it's just a small little like it's just kind of a whimper of like, ah, yeah. too bad. It's like yeah. the last five minutes where you're like, you know, you're not gonna be upset about it. You're just like, nope. well, I don't know if this was necessary. Yeah, it just wasn't. It just wasn't it would have been fine. Even if they were like the end was them playing at a you know, cruddy, you know, casino that nobody goes to. Mm -hmm. Like that would have been funny. That, yeah. that would have been the end. And so, yeah, exactly. But uh, a great movie all around. Fantastic. So, so all three movies, just to recap, uh, we love all of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Recommend, but, but we'll go, recommend every single one of them. We'll go on each table. We'll go for our favorites. So, so Mike, go ahead and start with yours of the three. Yeah. Um, I always say this best in show is the better movie. Um, so I will say best in show, but mighty wind is a very close second to me. And it has, I think has the more wholesome bits in it. Um, um, but yeah, Best in Show to me is the high water mark for Christopher Guest. Uh, I agree. I, I would say Best in Show. I think it's the tightest. It's probably the funniest consistently movie. Like I said, I think the setup for Spinal Tap is the best. Mm -hmm. It may have the most laugh out loud singular scene. I think The Mighty Wind is probably the most poignant of all of these films. And it might have my favorite scene, which is the kiss over the rainbow. Uh, so there's really... Not, not a lot of bad here. No, it's a tough call. Because mm -hmm. uh, even, even for me, like, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, but this is Final Tap is my number one because I, I, mm -hmm. I love this movie. I have so much, you know, affinity for it and especially the music. Uh, two and three, like, it's hard to split them at all. Like, I probably would say Best in Show because I've, I've seen that more times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I really enjoyed A Mighty Wind all the way through because it was a really wholesome, fun movie. It was still hilarious. Like, it's the tightest of the three, I would say, as far as the movie goes. Yeah. So I had to put that and then Best in Show at second and then Mighty Wind at three. But either way, mm -hmm. if you watch all threes, like, you're going to have a great time regardless. They're like, just, all funny. You could binge right through them. It's, it's, it's a great time no matter what. Yep. 
Uh, any final words before we, we let off for the evening Larry, right after the Christopher Guest sunsets? No. There, there are other Christopher Guest movies. Just so you know, first one would be Waiting for Guffman, which came out after Spinal Chap. So Waiting for Guffman. And then after uh, Mighty Wind, there's one called For Your Consideration. Yeah, um, which was also in theaters. Which was I felt like the format's a little bit. Different. It's not. Well, it's not directed it's, by Christopher Guest. Well, it's also it is. it's also like partially written. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's not a mockumentary, right? It's no, kind it's of just, just a regular oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, but, but those are others to look for. Waiting for Guffman is probably the one you'd want to see in the trilogy if you haven't seen all of these yet. It's because, been a long time. So yeah, I don't remember if I I'm going to revisit it. that one. It's very funny, and it, but it's like a prototype of what these movies became, basically. Randall, any any final thoughts? Uh, just you know, watch watch all these movies. They all go to eleven. They all there you go, right? Perfect way. Uh, and if you want to reach out to us, Mike, what socials do we have right now? <laughs> I'm gonna mess it up. You know it. Yeah. Uh, well, we have the Hollywood Videos podcast. So we have HVG podcast on Instagram and Threads. We have it on Facebook as well, though we're not nearly as active as we are on Instagram and Threads. Uh, and then we also have our Gmail, which is hvgpod at gmail.com. You got it on the first Let's try. go. Yeah, nailed Let's it. Go. Nailed it. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, also, yes. what, what is Threads? Uh, that's the Instagram equivalent of Twitter. It, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's boy. like It's like Instagram's Twitter. It's a less toxic Twitter is the best way to yeah, describe it. Because there's not a whole lot of old. people using it so much, yeah. but it's definitely less... Less toxicity from what I've seen so far. It's a good way to regram your Instagram posts. Yeah. <laughs> it's an easy way to do that. That's also true. Yeah, we haven't gone on Twitter yet, but we should. Uh, I should get that going. But yeah. those are the places you can find us. Send us your recommendations for things we should talk about. There you go, please. And uh, final words for me, I'll reflect and reiterate what the keyboardist from Tap said. Have a good time all the time. <laughs> this is Donnie signing off with Holiday Video Guys. Thank you, everyone.